Hi, yes. Can you hear me? Okay. I'm at a party at my best friend's house. Maybe somebody already reported it. It's, it's pretty big and loud. Like crazy loud. Maybe look for a noise complaint. No. No, I, I can't give you the address because if I give you the address, then I'm the one who told. I brought the cops here. I sent him to jail. I ended his life. And, and I can't live with that. So you're, you're gonna have to trace my call or something. So I will just talk for a few minutes. Uh, yeah, I'm getting to that. Hold on, somebody's in here. There's another one downstairs. Okay, okay, okay. He, he killed his parents. The kid who, who threw this party killed his parents. Kids are drinking and his parents are in the back room, dead. I, I keep thinking about how I saw kids leaning against that door, breathing the same air that was touching their bodies and having no idea what happened. Shit, there are so many fucking people here. You know, it must have been bloody because there's blood all over. You just, you just can't see it until you know it's there. Yes. Yeah, there's blood all over, little bits hiding in plain sight. No. Would you think there was blood all over a party, or would your brain just auto-correct that situation into thinking something brown spilled, I don't know, like maybe a Coke? Right. It's one little gross thing in a sea of gross things, you just ignore it. But once you know what it really is, you can see it everywhere. It's like one of those magic eye posters. Do you know what they are? They were popular in the 90s. My parents have a book of them. They look like a little trippy pattern, but then you uncross your eyes and a schooner appears. That's what this is. It looks like a party. Lots of stuff is broken. Kids are trashing the place. Stuff is spilled. There's a couple locked doors. It's best not to think about it too much. Otherwise, the fun wears off and you realize some kids' parents are going to be pissed as shit. But then when you look into the little things, the cars in the driveway, the brown stains all over the broken desk, the kid in charge watching the locked master bedroom like a hawk, and it all starts to unfold in front of you. The party melts away, and it's just a murder scene. A very, very messy murder scene. No, wait, please, yes, this is real. You need to send officers. I just wanted to get drunk. Maybe make out with somebody. I don't want to be the one who has to do the right thing. How do I know? He told me. He told me he watched the blood pool in the bright white grout of the tile floors. He told me what it sounds like to fracture a skull. What it feels like to start hitting someone and just not stop. He told me that death is quiet. That's not something you say when you're lying. And then I saw them. I saw them lying there. You know, people, when they have died, they're, they're kind of like a magic eye poster too. You just assume you're seeing their chest rise and fall and then hearing the air move as they breathe. You think maybe you saw their eye twitch or their throat move as they swallowed. Even when they're sleeping, people make noise. We're always in motion. That's what life is. Motion. My, my brain just, it just, it thought they were doing all of those things, but when I stepped back, I realized that they weren't. There were no sounds, no motion. He was right. Death is quiet, even in the loudest places. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead.
Welcome back. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. It's a new year, and soon we'll be in our new space, and I'm so happy to be back recording and writing. Uh, We have some big goals for 2022, and while I'm a little afraid to say it's going to be a good year, what with the whole global pandemic still raging ever forward and all, I do think that it is a year that's going to be full of possibilities. I like that I typed that before you got sick. Yeah. So, (laughs) right. Yeah, that was good. I know. I felt really strong about this year, and then I just got like... Immediate COVID. Like the second, immediately. I was like, this is going to be a really good year for me, and then bam. (laughs) You got it over with. (laughs) Yeah. For those of you who didn't listen to our supplement last week, poor Leslie got the dreaded COVID. I did. It was no good, but she did live. I did. Yeah. 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 We're very thankful. Um, that she's back on her feet. And you know what? You were sick for a few days, but like, it was okay. And I think you had like a double punch of illness, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we had, I definitely had four days of a, of a fever Mm -hmm. and that was rough, but then it luckily just ended. And now I'm left with just the cough, congestion and fatigue. Okay. So, which I hear lasts for a little while, but it's better than being in the hospital. It sure is. Yeah. I'm glad that you're not in the hospital. That would be the I worst am, thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, full of possibilities still, though. Yes. You know what? <laughs> and there's nothing I love more than a blank sheet of paper. And that's what we have right now. That said, I really don't want to, like, look like a blank sheet of paper, all, like, pale and dull and dry and rectangle shaped. Oh, like me? <laughs> you're not rectangle shaped. No. <laughs> you're not pale either. You're doing, mm-hmm. your skin looks great. Yeah. I did take a CBD gummy nice. last week, right before I got COVID. Okay. And uh, and I definitely felt like paper then. I don't know how else to explain it. Oh, I no. just felt like paper. CBD gummies are calming. They Well, but top that with like two glasses, three glasses of red wine, and I accidentally just ate the gummy without realizing. I, I became um, paper. I love that night. Yeah. That sounds like a great night that so, I would like love to have. I feel this hard. <laughs> But we don't want to look like the paper, okay? Not like covered in lines. This is not good news for a face. I miss the days of our chalice of baby's blood. And ever since it dried up, I feel like my internal youth and beauty has been waning. For sure. You know? I wish there was something else we could do. You know, I have heard of one other solution. Ooh, what's that? But it, um, it requires a little help. Ooh. We could... Bathe in a solution of moonlight and pure, unfiltered validation. That's right. Yeah. Oh, God, it's been so long, like, since last year. Yeah, my signature scent is called Moonlight and Validation. That is, I love it. Mine is gross love, but. Make them both, please. <laughs> <gasps> if Leslie made them, would you guys buy them? I would wear them every day in alternating patterns, like how, depending on how I was feeling <laughs> that day. I think she's, I really have been on her to make us a signature scent. So you should express your it's interest. A new year. Full of possibilities. Yes. But uh, validation, now that I can speak again, uh, can be distilled from the kind words and little like stars of our fiends. Um, And if you want Leslie and I to live and podcast deliciously forever, you can hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the one and only way to get this podcast noticed. And we all want to be noticed, don't we? Yes. Of course. And if you want to support the podcast further while getting a little more We Would Be Dead in your weekly life, you can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our patrons-only podcast, 30-Minute Horror Movies, 
our weekly video after show host Mortem, which we are catching up with now. It's a new year. Things are going to start to run more smoothly, I promise, now that Leslie's also done being sick. I wrote that before you got sick also. Okay. Yep. <laughs> You'll also get special extra mini-sodes, a gift from us, special merch offers, the chance to vote on episode topics, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. Mm. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply share anything on our social media feed to your social media feeds, post about us anywhere, tell us when you're listening, like and subscribe to the pod on any platform. That subscription is important. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell the monster under your bed. What's their name? Yennefer. Yennefer. <laughs> I like it. Then your friends and Yennefer can become fiends and we can all hang out together. <laughs> I like COVID Leslie. Yeah. She's funny. <laughs> also, if I'm weirdly distracted, I have the puppy on the couch because I don't want him to bite all the wires and he's just furiously biting he my is. hand. He is going at it. <laughs> I'm waiting for him he's to tire himself out. wild and it kind of hurts. Yeah. So sometimes it's distracting. He's a little squirrely Dan right now. He's a little, That's what he appreciates yeah, about you. That is. Leslie. L. My main sources this week are Ryan Hadley's book, 1,000 Fireflies. Ryan is Tyler's brother and only sibling. And the extremely famous Rolling Stone article, Tyler Hadley's Killer Party by Nathaniel Rich, which is widely regarded as the definitive document on this case. I also used various other transcripts and police reports, expert testimony, and court statements from the actual event, along with local, local newspapers. And it has to be said, one more thing before we start, that uh, I have seen this case turn into the douche Olympics way more times than I care to even recognize, and we're not here to compete. After reading Ryan Hadley's book, it is obvious how hard this is and continues to be for him and his family, so I will ask that we don't immediately start name-calling in our comments section. I know Tyler is an easy mark for that kind of stuff, but still, there are other people who read it, so for their sake, let's don't. Who's Ryan? Tyler's brother. Okay. There are so many... I mean, it's so easy to be like, he was a horrible douchebag and like say all these awful things. And I'm not saying like it's not warranted and that he didn't do horrible right. things. But I also know that like I don't want us to grab that low-hanging fruit. Right. So we're going to be, we're gonna be a little, little bit more sensitive to the Hadleys. So with that, Leslie, is there anything you would like to add before we begin? Um, no. No. No? I'm good. Perfect. <laughs> all right, then. On with the show. July 17, 2011, in Port St. Lucie, Florida, had barely begun. It was approximately 4.30 in the morning. Perhaps a few of the earliest birds were getting up and getting ready for work, but most of the people kind of thought it was still nighttime. 4.30 is nighttime for me. Right. The Crime Stoppers hotline phone rang and an operator picked up. On the other end of the line was what sounded like a breathless and terrified teenage boy. He told them that his best friend, a boy named Tyler Hadley, had killed his parents with a hammer, stashed their bodies in a bedroom, and then threw a party. He said the party had been huge and that none of the people in attendance knew that his parents were in the house dead. He told Crime Stoppers that he had personally seen the bodies. He knew that they were there, and this, as they say, was not a drill. Mm. Officers Adrian... Zamoyski and Charles Green were called to the scene. They parked across the street from 271 Northeast Grandier Avenue and ran the plates of the cars in the driveway. They were a cream-colored Lincoln, a black Toyota Tacoma truck, and a red Ford Expedition. 
The first car was registered to none other than Tyler Hadley and the others to his parents, Mary Jo and Blake. The officers then cautiously approached the house and first looked in the window. They could clearly see a young man, who they assumed was Tyler, pacing around and talking to himself. Officer Green would write in a police report that, quote, his eyes were very wide and he was not blinking. Unsettling, I feel. I know. He then began, this is so weird, moving stacks of books around the room and talking to himself frantically. He would just stack and unstack the books, all while holding a conversation with no one. That's alarming. I don't like that at all. I don't like that either. The officers had seen enough, I think you would have, and they knocked on the door and rang the bell but got no answer. Then they watched all of the remaining lights in the house shut off one by one. And through the window, which would freak me out too, you just watch all the lights turn off? Yeah, that's disturbing. Then through the window, they could see Tyler slowly approaching. Finally, he answered the door wearing a black shirt and black shorts with his left hand hidden behind his back, which is not a great way to approach cops. And let me just say for a minute here that if Tyler had been black, he would not have fared as well in this situation. Mm. He'd Mm. 100% be dead by now. But that's another story, I guess, for another time, but I think it's worth pointing out every single time. The officers drew their guns and ordered Tyler to the ground, then handcuffed and shackled him. The officers asked if his parents were home, and Tyler, seemingly annoyed by the whole thing, said that no, they were not. His pupils were black and dilated, and they seemed large as poker chips. Quote, I know I'm going to Rock Road, he told Officer Green, referring to the address of the St. Lucie County Jail. So just take me. But he didn't mention why. The officers left him immobilized in the driveway and entered the house. That also blows my mind that they just left him, like, shackled in the driveway. Hmm. Was, I, I, I only read that there are two officers there at this point in time, and they both go inside. So he's just alone? He could have run right away. I mean, yeah. I guess not if he was, like, hogtied or something. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe they had, like, his hands and feet tied together or something. Yeah. If that was the case, yeah, he could. He's just a slug on the ground. That's it. Huh. Yeah, I, that's just something I found kind of interesting. Hmm. So moving through the mess, the officers um, observed the bloodstains that— um, the caller for Crime Stoppers had mentioned. They slowly secured every room before heading into the master bedroom. So basically they had to go into every room and make sure that there was no one in there that might jump out and get them or something. The master bedroom was locked, just as Michael Mandel had said, but they were able to pretty easily force the door open. And the first thing they discovered was a terrified black lab locked in the closet. Oh my. I know. The dog is okay though, you guys. Her name is Sophie. And though she was traumatized, she went on to live with Ryan, Tyler's brother, remember the one who wrote the book. This dog lives with his girlfriend, Kelly's parents. She recovered physically, but remained hypervigilant and pretty traumatized, though she did have a kind and loving home. Incidentally, there were also two more pets in the home, an elderly beagle named Molly, who had been locked in Ryan's childhood bedroom. Molly, though, was blind and deaf and therefore didn't really know that anything had happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she was just like, I'm just sleeping. There's a few extra people here and there, but like, whatever, mm. I'm fine. She went on to live with Tyler and Ryan's grandparents before passing a couple years later of natural causes. The last pet, a cat named Tinkerbell, remained totally unfazed by the mayhem and went on to live with Ryan's cousin. <laughs> Cats are unflappable. Yeah, they're like, cool, cool, I don't cool. give a shit, whatever. Yeah. All three animals spent one night at the local shelter where they were diligently cared for uh, before being placed in their new and loving homes. I know you guys all worry about the pets, so I got the whole story of them out of the way immediately. 
Great. Then, after removing an enormous pile of furniture and broken dishes, the officers discovered Blake and Mary Jo Hadley's body. A pile Mm. of bloody rags, towels, cleaning supplies, and a large claw hammer. This is wild. This was just super wild. Yep. Behind a closed door. Wow. You know, at a house party, they're like, you can't go in that room. You just don't go in that room. It reminds me of um, the party monster story. Yes. Yep. That is definitely yeah. has, its, has its similar parts. But, like, I can see this happening. Having been to college house parties, like, you just, you're like, oh, that's the room you're not allowed to go in. Right. Yeah. That's Absolutely. It, we put everything in that room. Yeah, so you like, just don't question it. You're like, yeah. okay. I mean, okay, cool. I, I'm in the rest of your home doing whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to leave that one alone. So, as parties go, I'm going to venture to say that that one was pretty bad. You never want an evening ending with a bunch of dead bodies. What could even compete with that? Leslie, have you heard of any, like, I don't know, terrible parties that you might want to talk about? Is there other house parties that were this bad? I, I know of a couple. Do you? You think yeah. maybe you could, um, you could tell us about them while sure, I let this sure. dog rip me to shreds? Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, so this one is more recent, but I have some throughout history. Ooh, uh, yes. I love all of them, please. All right. So number one, I have five. These are my five most disastrous house parties. Bring them on. The Abbott family of East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, returned home from their trip to Paris to find their home turned upside down and an estimated $45,000 in damages. Whoa. Alex, their 18-year-old son, stayed home while his family was in Paris. According to police, on February 20th, a message got out on Facebook that there would be a rager at the Abbott house, Mm -hmm. which led to 100 high school students showing up to his home. Alex was immediately overwhelmed and tried asking kids to leave. Most oh, no. of them, yeah, most of them were not his friends. Um, he this didn't is very know similar. some of them. Yeah, the party was getting out of control, and for fear of being beaten up, he didn't call the cops. Instead, he asked one of his actual friends at the party to run to his neighbor's house to get help. Once the neighbor arrived, the party began to disperse. Witnesses can attest to Alex's terror and shock at, like, the events that were happening. He was, like, not happy with how the party was going. No. Oh, my Um, God. He, like, lost control real fast. Yeah, and feeling like he had uh, no—and they felt like he had no idea that there was even going to be this big party and was just shocked at the control um, that he had lost. It wasn't until two days later that the cops were called, though. So after Alex called his dad, who was Jill Abbott's ex-husband, so the, you know, he doesn't, that's not his dad's house, it's his mom's house. Got it. Um, After assessing the damage, they called the cops and Jill to tell them what had happened. Um, So here's what $45,000 worth of damage looks like in the Abbott house. Tell us. (laughs) They broke the legs off of an antique couch and burned them, smashed other antique furniture, broke staircase spindles, smashed ceiling fans and light fixtures, damaged the hardwood floors, kicked in both bathroom doors, punched holes in the ceilings and walls, smashed windows, and urinated in every single drawer of the house. Every single That was one group of kids, too. They're like, you know what would be funny? We're going to piss in every drawer. Every drawer. Uh, Blood was found on the walls and carpets. We don't know from where. Just somebody's Probably blood? Probably because they're like smashing shit. So Great. there's just blood everywhere. Blood was, uh, marble countertops were smashed and, and broken. Oh, that's a challenge. Bedding was destroyed. 
Uh, family pictures were mutilated. Items were stuffed in every toilet of the house, which is why people were urinating all over the house, too. In drawers. Food was thrown all over the Abbott's home. Several items were also stolen from the house, including a laptop, a PS3 game console, uh, jewelry, alcohol, clothing, golf clubs, sporting goods, perfume, medicine, CDs, DVDs, and video games. And Dan Abbott's truck, uh, so his stepdad's truck, was stolen during the party and damaged. The next day, a student at the party made a Facebook page called Home Rec Crew and <gasps> used it as a way for the teenagers to continue to talk about the havoc that they wrecked at the what party. What an asshole. Only four students were arrested. The Abbott family hoped that there would be more. Um, Alex had to deal with harassment at school because he was now considered a snitch, and apparently his parents pulled him out for his own safety. I would have And he too. didn't go to prom. Wah, wah. But the other kids, I think, got to go to prom. That's not fair. I know. It was like a mess. They were worse than he was. He just got—he was like, I'm going to throw this sneaky party, and then everybody else was the worst. Yeah. It was wild. So that was a very recent one. But now let's go back through history. Let's do it. In 1770, Marie Antoinette married Louis XVI, the Dauphine of France. Of France? The Dauphine, right? Dauphine. Dauphine. Yeah. Yeah. The Dauphine of France. Uh, They were 14 and 15 years old, respectively. Their heir's wedding— attracted thousands of people to Paris. The elaborate wedding included many fireworks displays. In the days after the wedding, though, the wind blew partially exploded fireworks into a crowded Paris street. (gasps) At least 133 people perished in the panic. Not the greatest start to the marriage that would end with the French Revolution. And the people, the so the uh, Ruggeri brothers, who orchestrated the fireworks display, did manage to recover, and their company continues to operate today. Oh. Wild, right? That's so long ago. That is weird. 1770. Good for you guys. You really stood the test of time. Yeah. Number three. Yes. <laughs> In 6th century Constantinople, chariot racing fans could root for their for the blues or the greens. Fans formed organizations or demis uh, that functioned like fan clubs but also resembled early political parties. Confrontations between fans of the Blues and Greens were frequently fatal, but in, but tensions were the highest between 527 and 532 CE. Oh. This is real long ago. Yeah, that's real, real long ago. In, 15, in 527, Emperor Just, Justinian, who was a ardent Blue supporter, married the noblewoman Theodora, who had been a fan of the Greens, but later switched to the blue. <laughs> oh, no. Didn't the Justinians also have a plague? Yeah, There's probably. the plague of the Justinians. We talked about that. There's always a plague in it, this era. <laughs> we talked about that in our episode on plagues and pandemics. Oh, okay. Back when we thought this was a footnote in history. Right. <laughs> We're back at it again. Great. <laughs> the royal family was obviously unpopular among the Greens. To make matters worse, years of heavy taxation left both factions unhappy with the emperor. It always has to do with taxes. Mm -mm. In early 532, Justinian harshly cracked down on on a fight between the blues and greens, but when the emperor tried to execute the leaders of both factions, the executioner botched the job. No! At the next race, days later, fans on both sides put aside their differences and revolted against the emperor. Oh, no. They were like, blue and green come together. Get the emperor. I like that one. The riots lasted five days, and Justinian considered fleeing the city until Theodora shamed him into staying. Two of Justinian's generals put a stop to the riots by trapping and killing fans inside their own stadium, the Hippodrome. 
It's estimated that 30,000 perished or about 10% of the city's population. Oh, no. That's a terrible party. (laughs) Yeah, that is a really terrible party. And the plague of Justinian um, killed 300,000 people that same time in Constantinople. Oh, my gosh. They're not doing well over there. No. All right, number four. In 1829, Andrew Jackson was sworn in as America's seventh president. Or, yeah, I was like, is that right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> was sworn in as America's seventh president after running a populist campaign in which he called himself a champion of the common man. Five years after a similar campaign in 1824 fell short. For the inauguration, the Jackson administration decided to uphold an earlier presidential tradition where the White House held an open house on inauguration day. Around 20,000 people showed up to the event, trampling furniture and grinding food into the carpet. Staff reportedly said that the carpet smelled like cheese for months. Ew! (laughs) Which just reminds me, I feel like this is what Charlie's house smells like and always sunny. Yeah. (laughs) Just cheese in the carpet. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right, number five, my last one. In the court of 14th century France, one-way King Charles VI liked to party was by staging balls involving elaborately choreographed and costumed dances. Who doesn't like to do that? I mean, I love that. I would be all about that. (laughs) Shortly after New Year's Day, 1393, the court held a ball celebrating the upcoming wedding of one of Queen Isabella's ladies-in-waiting. The ball involved a dance of six high-ranking officials dressed as quote-unquote, wild men of the woods, a common figure in European folklore. (laughs) I want all my parties to be like, I need six high-ranking officials to come dressed as wild men of the woods and to dance for me. (laughs) Good. (laughs) From here on out, I decree parties in my house. That's the rule. I like it. Great. (laughs) And so one of these wild men was the king himself. Ooh. Ooh, a wild king of the woods. Yes, that means Will's going to have to dress up. <laughs> the costumes were made out of straw, which was attached. Itchy. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which was attached to cloth soaked in tar. Ew! The dancers also decided to hold lit torches because why not? Oh, no. <laughs> they were candles. Yeah, they were just, They were probably very drunk for this. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly into the dance, one of the costumes caught on fire, yeah. obviously, and the flames soon spread to everyone. A 14-year-old noblewoman put out the flames on the king with her dress. Mm. One dancer jumped into a barrel of wine, but the other four did not survive. Uh, The event became known as the Ball of the Burning Men. That was the first Burning Man. That was, that's exactly what I wrote. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Yeah. Got it. That's the the origin story of Burning Man. Yeah. Great. (laughs) I'd like to be the guy that was like, why? He probably didn't even know he was on fire. He was like, you know, it'd be great. (laughs) Why? Now that I'm a human candle, it's warm in here. It's fine. It's fine. Those were some pretty rough parties. I know. Yeah. Thank you for that, Leslie. You're welcome. So after the officers discovered bodies and a murder weapon, and basically the entire murder scene neatly packed into one location, they dug around a little bit more. And um, later on, looking into Tyler's Facebook account, I'm not fully certain if that happened at the scene or if, like, other officers did it electronically— But it was clear that the last thing he did before getting arrested at 4.40 a.m. 
was to post, quote, party at my house again, HMU. Oh. Yeah. Hit me up. Hit me up. Had the police not shown up, this party would have just gone on until the house was, like, crumbled into ruins. Wild. Yep. It's it's kind of funny that the whole thing ended with a Facebook post, too, because that's how it started as well. With the same words. Party at my house. Hit me up. Mm. Social media is an interesting animal. You can show up any way you want. We see these snapshots and piece together a life, a person, a personality. Sometimes it's the truth, but far more often it's not. Does this mean that everybody is a catfish? No, not entirely. But there is a tendency to exaggerate, to speak in hyperbole, and to say things to others that would absolutely never be said face-to-face. Yep. And if we are smart, we know to take everything we see there with a grain of salt. So when a 17-year-old tells his friends he's going to, quote, kill his parents, we can't really fault them for thinking it was just an exaggeration because that's the thing people say. I'm going to kill you. I swear if she takes my parking spot, I'll kill her. My mom will not stop nagging me about cleaning my room. I'm going to kill her. It's part of the lexicon. As our phrases like, oh, I'm going to kill myself, and oh, I want to die, and oh, I'm so depressed. They're so ubiquitous that they don't even phase us anymore. We cry wolf a hundred times a day without taking a moment to consider that for some of us, the wolf is real. Mm. And so when the teens of Port St. Lucie, Florida, were scrolling through their Facebook feeds on July 16th of 2011 and saw, quote, party in my crib tonight, maybe, pop up at 1.15 in the afternoon, they thought Tyler Hadley, who had posted this status, was full of shit. So you can imagine how shocked they were at around 8 o'clock that evening when he posted yet again. Party at my house. HMU. Hmm. I love all the articles also that have asterisks and footnotes to let people know that HMU means hit me up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So many confused citizens. Now, was he, was, uh, you might get into this, but was he like popular in his school? Like I will get into that and no, he wasn't. Okay. So (laughs) so for them to see that like people weren't, people were like, I I mean, even if he was having a party, I don't know that I'd want to go like initially. This is exactly what I'm getting at. Okay. Tyler Hadley did not have parties at his house. Okay. Tyler Hadley had parents who, at this point, wouldn't even let him have his phone, let alone have a house party. Mm. He was always in trouble, always saying ludicrous things to get attention. And most importantly, Tyler Hadley barely had any friends. Mm. So what was happening? From the outside, Tyler Hadley was the picture of a kid we can all point to in our own high school experience. A lanky, kind of greasy stoner who kept to himself and occasionally acted like really weird in class. He sulked around the halls, acting put out and angry at the world. That is when he deigned it all right to show up to class. He dressed in black and was always like, tired of the bullshit. He did drugs and would commit petty crimes in his free time. He was sullen and frequently alone, socially awkward, one might say. So remember your life's version of this kid? Mm-hmm. Like we all, there should be someone you can place. I mean, almost every class has somebody. I know I have one. I bet they were perfectly fine in kindergarten, but along the way, something changed. Now take a moment to really get that kid in your head. Like, what did they wear? Where did they hang out? Did you walk by them a little faster? Did they make you nervous? Did you feel bad for them? Did you find yourself attempting to befriend them, but that when it got, but eventually it got too hard? How did they act in class? Were there weird outbursts and detentions? Think of their faces and how often they smiled, their Convenient haircuts or scribbled scribbled upon notebooks. 
Maybe they started smoking super duper shockingly early in life. It's more than likely they did not have a lot of gatherings at their home. So, okay, now that we all have a picture of this kid in their mind, move forward keeping that there because it's kind of important to have this touchstone. It's easy to make this kid out to be like some kind of super villain, but he was just a kid that honestly you would never just assume would do some treacherous thing. Right. So, anyway, I just think it's it's important to have something like that mm-hmm. to ground you. And I definitely used that when I was thinking of this case. Like, what if it was this kid that I knew? That would be so insane. I would never assume any of these things that he said were real. Never. Mm-hmm. But in order to truly understand the confusion around this gathering, we should begin at the beginning. Tyler Hadley was born on December 16th, 1993. He came into the world early, weighing just three pounds and 10 ounces, and remained in the hospital for the next month in an incubator while he learned to eat and grow. Mm. Well, he was growing. He doesn't learn to grow. Right, he was right, learning right. to eat. <laughs> anyway, according to the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation in an article published in 2012, quote, the research of Chiara Nosarti, PhD, says that babies born prematurely appear to have an increased risk for, develop- for developing mental illness, including schizophrenia, depression, and bipolar disorder. Dr. Nasarti led a team from King's College London and Karolinska Institute in Sweden in one of the largest investigations to date into the relationship between birth complications and mental health. Dr. Nasarti's examination revealed that babies born at 32 to 36 weeks gestation were 1.6 times more likely than full-term babies to develop psychosis, 1.3 times more likely to have depressive disorders, and 2.7 times more likely to have bipolar disorder. The risk for babies born at less than 32 weeks gestation was greater. These babies were 2.5 times more likely to go on to develop psychosis, 2.9 times more likely to have depression, and a striking 7.4 times more likely to have bipolar disorder. Dr. Nosarti's research has since been supported by other teams of mental health researchers. This is just an interesting thing to note. Right off the bat, he has what could have been considered a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. But Blake and Mary Jo Hadley loved their youngest son, and after his turbulent beginning, tried their best to give him the most normal and idyllic childhood imaginable. And really, if anyone could do it, it would have been them. So let's get to know the Hadleys a little, shall we? Sure. Mary Jo DiVittorio was born in Braddock, Pennsylvania in 1964, After attending college in North Carolina, she moved to Fort Lauderdale, where she met Blake, and soon after, the pair married. After a year of marriage, they moved to Port St. Lucie to be closer to Mary Jo's parents, who had chosen to retire there. There are a lot of sources that state they moved there to be closer to Blake's parents, but he lived in a neighboring town, and Mary Jo's um, obituary states that her parents lived in Port St. Lucie. So I think it was uh, something that got a little lost in translation. I'm pretty sure it was her parents. They bought their house on Grandeur Avenue for a song and looked forward to starting a family there. Mm. Mary Jo was an elementary school teacher, and she worked in the St. Lucie County School District for 24 years. She was also actively involved in the St. Lucie Catholic Church. Ryan Hadley, again Tyler's brother, describes her as a, quote, gentle, caring person who taught elementary school her entire adult life and never seemed to grow weary of it. She cared for her students and genuinely believed that a good education was the best gift she could give them. Former students had glowing things to say about Mary Jo. One even referred to her as a second mother. Ryan goes on to say that, quote, she was firm too. I was told that if you were her student, you couldn't get away with much. She had a teacher voice, which I totally know what that means. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That even I grew to recognize and respect early in my life. 
Ryan goes on to say that Mary Jo was the primary disciplinarian in their home, but that she was fair and never harsh. Her only flaw would have been a failure to follow through with punishments sometimes. But then again, don't we all? Yeah. Parents that, like, threaten a million trillion things a day. We don't follow through with every single one of them. No, we, we just couldn't. We surely couldn't. Our <laughs> kids would just be locked in the basement all the time with no toys and electronics. Sometimes to follow through with them feels like a punishment for us. Yep. So it's just, it's a lot. Right. So I get that. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't always follow through. Mary Jo also loved animals. She frequently fostered cats and dogs and always, quote, fought for the underdog. Ryan remembers her buying school supplies for the kids in her class who couldn't afford them. And I know, that was like the sweetest thing. And working tirelessly to help Tyler find his way and know his worth in the world. And he says that to him was one of the most tragic things is that Mary Jo like fiercely worked to try and help him. Mm. It did not benefit her in the end. Uh, Tyler's father, Blake Hadley, was born in 1954 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. A local boy through and through, he was a diehard Florida State University football fan. All right. I don't know if FSU FSU. is a thing you like. (laughs) FSU. Gators. Okay. Sure. There's a lot of them about in Florida. That sounds right. (laughs) Name them after that. Yeah. (laughs) Blake was a hardworking man, spending 30 years as a plant operator for Florida Power and Light. There, he had a grueling 70-plus hour work week, and sometimes those weeks would go on for a month straight during scheduled outages. And though he was tired, he never complained and always made time for his boys. He loved to toss a ball around and never said no to a game of catch or watching a football game with the boys if he was home on a Sunday. At an imposing six foot four and over 300 pounds, Blake could have been seen as intimidating, but it's hard to be intimidating when a warm smile never leaves your face. Ryan describes him as kind and gregarious and fun-loving, and quotes from local friends and neighbors say exactly the same thing. Quote, he has been described by many people as a gentle giant. He could make a joke about anything, and he treated everyone with kindness and respect. Blake was a soft-hearted man who found it difficult to discipline his boys, but he always instilled mutual respect and accountability for one's actions as core values. Hmm. Blake and Mary Jo welcomed their first son, Ryan, in 1988. Ryan was a pretty typical kid. He played football with his dad and watched FSU games. He had long talks with his mom and made his way through school just fine. Ryan says that because of the six-year age gap throughout his childhood, Tyler was mostly an annoying little brother, a constant presence who wanted his attention. He recalls finding a journal his mother kept for him beginning with the day he was born. The last entry was written in January of the year 2000 uh, when Ryan was just 12. And it said, quote, I know that you love your brother and that right now you're having trouble showing it. I hope that someday you will be close to him. He adores you. Mm. That's just like a bullet. Yeah. As they got older, Ryan began to enjoy his younger brother's company more and more. They shared tastes in movies, had inside jokes, and would lovingly tease their mom together. Ryan enjoyed his share of mild acting out too. He drank and smoked a little pot and admits to sneaking Tyler beers and giving him tips on concealing his pot smoking, things that he feels very guilty about, but they just seem like older brother things to me. Yeah. That's not like, I don't hear that and go, oh man, how awful. Like I know, the, I feel like that's pretty normal. Yeah, that seems rather average to me. Um, and Tyler never really did seem to be interested, though, in the tips on concealing his pot smoking. He didn't, mm. didn't really care who saw And speaking of Tyler, let's get back to him. As a young child, he was meek and mild, which rhymed and I didn't realize it. Hmm. 
He clung to his mother, always seeking reassurance of her love and approval. Now, psychologists might call this an insecure attachment and point out that people with an insecure attachment style generally have trouble making emotional connections with others. They can be aggressive or unpredictable toward their loved ones, a behavior that is rooted in the lack of consistent love and affection that they experienced in their childhood. Though there is no evidence any of that happened to Tyler, his perception may have been that it did. This is simply worth pointing out as there are myriad red flags along our path today and all of them are hidden in plain sight. Mm. Tyler had lingering health issues, both mental and physical. He was treated early on in his life for thyroid problems and by 10 years old, he was put on Lexapro to teach his anxiety, to treat, sorry, his anxiety, depression, and poor self-image. In fact, having suffered with periodic depression herself, Mary Jo thought that maybe helping Tyler with his self-image would remedy some of its devastating effects And so, in his early adolescence, seeing that he was still far shorter and rounder than all the other kids in his class, she had him put on human growth hormones. Oh, okay. Which doctors don't just, like, hand out willy-nilly. Yeah. It's not something you can just say, I want some of that, and they give you some. So I imagine that his thyroid issues possibly also translated to something wrong with his pituitary gland. Sometimes they're related. That's the gland that's responsible for growth hormones, and it is usually the only reason a child will be given HGH. Right. This is very curious. It is mentioned everywhere. There's not much more of an explanation. Hmm. It's just some people just, it just takes longer to hit puberty. That is what I thought, too. I thought maybe he, I don't know, maybe he's just a little chubby kid. Like, he'll be fine in a little while. How old is he at this point? It just says early adolescence. I'm going to assume we're talking about like 12, 13 years old. Yeah, that's like right before you get... Right. Mo- most boys are a little pudgy. Right. And then they grow. Yeah, then they just shoot up and like a weed. And they get like muscles like men. I I hear you and I agree with you, but I... It must have come on the heels of something yeah. else. Maybe early adolescence to other people means 15. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't think so, and, judging and, by the timeline. Yeah. Um, mm. and And again, if he had a... A legitimate pituitary disorder. Right. You would want to get a jump on it before things had stalled out for too long. Okay. So, you know what? It could have been the most prescribed thing in the world. It could have been like a totally logical solution to a problem. It just isn't laid out anywhere. Okay. But it also could have been kind of weird. We Mm -hmm. don't know. So, HGH would have accelerated his growth and hormone production. And while it also has possible mental health side effects, everything listed in medical journals, says that they are generally positive, like decreased depression and anxiety and an increased sense of self-worth. Hmm. Looking for statistics on if it caused depression or anxiety or or aggravated any of the, those conditions, I truly couldn't find any. Okay. Which surprised me. I was like, oh, that's probably something that messes with your development. But apparently, I guess it doesn't really. I could be wrong. If I am wrong, please, please tell me immediately. I would like to know. But the increased self-worth and less depression didn't happen for Tyler. He seemed to sink even lower into anxiety and despair. True, he was getting taller and losing weight, but the weight loss, which at first seemed healthy, quickly devolved into an obvious issue. Tyler became gaunt and drawn, which his family soon discovered was due to the bulimia he had developed. A few family members recall him after meals stepping outside onto the front porch to vomit into the bushes. Oh, okay. Bulimia is a frequently misunderstood disorder, and it's rarely diagnosed in boys. Yeah. Thankfully, it is more so now than it has been in the past, but still, there's a pretty big inequity between, like, boys and girls. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Sufferers will force themselves to vomit or uh, take intense amount of laxatives to rid their bodies of food. They binge and purge. I don't think anybody listening to this podcast doesn't know what bulimia is, but just for the sake of consistency, there you have it. While for the longest time, this disorder was pretty much only linked to the, like, societal pressure to lose weight and a distorted body image, we now know that a lot of times it will also occur in a person who simply needs control over their life and feels that this is the only way that they can obtain it. Mm. It happens to people who have, like, suffered childhood trauma and abuse. There are all kinds of reasons people develop bulimia. It's not just because they want to be thin. Though with Tyler, it does line up because, again— He got put on HGH so he wouldn't be chubby. Right. I think that just the fact that that happened alone might might leave its own wake in your brain. Mm -hmm. You sit there and go, oh, well, what I am is so bad that I had to be put on medication. Right. It could also be, I mean, I, I wonder if it's also because of the medications he's on maybe, and if he is doing any drugs at this point. Yeah, we'll get to that. He could also just be getting full too fast and that, and it could be like a sense of relief too, like both, mm, like like yeah. a little bit, like because obviously if he's doing that, also your stomach gets smaller too because you don't have food in it. So right, it's it's just an ongoing like bulimia. Could it's like you have almost have to keep doing it to feel better. Yeah, it's possible. It's it's noted in most places that he was very desperate to control his weight, right? Because he got like real skinny, and that was like the goal for him. Mm-hmm. And he's he was up until the time of his incarceration. He was like way for right. thin. Right. And then you have to keep doing it. Uh, Which he didn't in yeah. prison. But Tyler's bulimia is weirdly also always a footnote in his story. There is no word on how or if it had been treated and only that he struggled with it for a while and then it went away. Mm-hmm. Which happens sometimes. Yeah, but or did it. Right. Like bulimics hide their behavior all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like something people proudly do. A lot of times people who suffer with bulimia will, will like, they do those things in secret. Mm-hmm. So did it go away or were they just like, oh, he said, I mean, who, who's to say? Again, this is, this is the parts of information that have been withheld and I find them curious. Perhaps it was the continuing course of antidepressants he was being prescribed that helped him with his bulimia, which it should be noted can also cause suicidal thoughts and ideation, mm-hmm. both of which became alarmingly more common with Tyler as he got older. Entering high school, there were noticeable changes in Tyler's behavior. He was increasingly isolated and solitary. The once good-natured and helpful student, and according to his elementary school teachers, oh, they were the ones who said he was good-natured and helpful, he uh, now began performing poorly in class, and he was despondent. His assignments went unfinished, he was uncooperative and disagreeable, and most notably, he began to have strange outbursts in the middle of class that ranged from excessive and unexplained laughing to... Loud mooing. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Mooing. I can't really explain why on that one. But what I will say is a lot of people like to blame this sudden change in behavior on the pot. They thought he was always high and this made him angry and despondent. And a lot of people go on to blame the murders on pot. They think that it changed his perception of the world and caused him to become angry at his parents or something. Though... If you think that, I don't know that you ever have experienced being high yourself. Right. Pot gets a really bad rap in this case, and maybe it's deserving, but maybe also it's not. Leslie, do you have any information that might help clear this up for us a little bit? Uh, sure. So we can, we can talk about some cannabis. Let's do it. Okay. So um, I, got, I got some good information. Excellent. 
All right, so just some basically cannabis 101 information. Give it to us. Uh, Cannabis is a psychoactive drug from the cannabis plant. Native to Central and South Asia, the cannabis plant has been used as a drug for both recreational, medicinal, and entheogenic purposes, which are usually like those religious ceremonies Mm. where you use the plant to transcend or reach a higher plane of Like ayahuasca? Yeah. Okay. Uh, There are hundreds of components in the plant. Most of us are familiar with tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the THC. Right, right. And then the uh, cannabidiol or CBD. So both CBD and THD have the exact same molecular uh, structure, 21 carbon atoms, 30 hydrogen atoms, and 2 oxygen atoms, and a slight difference in how the atoms are arranged accounts for the differing effects on your body. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Both CBD and THD are chemically similar to your body's endocannabinoids, and this allows them to interact with your cannabinoid receptors. Okay. The interaction affects the release of neurotransmitters in your brain. The neurotransmitters are chemicals responsible for relaying messages from cells, uh, between cells, and have roles in pain, immune function, stress, and sleep, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. Despite their similar chemical structure, CBD and THC don't have the same psychoactive effects. So CBD is psychoactive. It just doesn't have this, it just doesn't act the same as THC. It doesn't give you that high feeling that we'll talk about. Um, And CBD can equally make you feel good, but not altered in any sense. So THC binds with the cannabinoid 1, a CB1 receptors in your brain, and it produces a high or sense of euphoria, which sounds really nice. Yeah, delightful. And then what? this is what I thought was interesting, and then we'll just stick with THC because that's what the story is going to be about. Um, But I thought it was interesting – for that CBD actually binds uh, very weakly. So if at, if it even binds at all with those receptors, so CBD actually needs THC to bind to a CB1 receptor and in turn can help reduce some of the unwanted psycho effects or psychoactive effects of THC, such as euphoria or and sedation. Huh. So I thought that was like interesting. So if you need to calm it, it down, you just have CBD. Huh. Which makes sense. That's why some people actually um, blend CBD with their regular weed. Their straight up cannabis? Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. So based on this case, as I said, we're really just talking about THC and mm-hmm. its effects. But I thought that was like a little good education, right? That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So THC is used to help with the following. Pain, muscle spasticity, glaucoma, insomnia, low appetite, nausea, and anxiety. So those are all really nice things that it can help with. It's super helpful. Um, THC can cause some temporary side effects, and temporary is key here. Right. So it can cause um, increased heart rate, coordination problems, dry mouth, red eyes, slower reaction times, memory loss, and it can also cause anxiety. So even though it can help with anxiety, it can cause anxiety. Well, lots of people say they get paranoid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, one of the other things I thought was interesting is how CBD can actually – CBD can help with depression – but um, THC doesn't help with depression. Interesting. Yep. Okay, so some believe that being addicted to cannabis is not a real thing, but just like with anything, it's absolutely possible. The feeling of like being high is like is a euphoric feeling, I would say, um, and it does have those benefits. It can that's where it can help you um, if you are in pain. It can help kind of mask that pain. Mm-hmm. 
and it seems a little bit healthier than maybe taking like painkillers, which are highly addictive. Yeah. Opiates um, have their own string of problems and they are decidedly worse. Yeah. Um, so for most people, like getting addicted to to weed is not like, it's not really a thing. You don't need, you only need a little bit to really kind of feel the effects of it. I also think that a lot of people, when they speak of addiction, they are speaking of physical addiction. So mm-hmm. that way, if you stop smoking and you smoked every day for two years, would you be sick and shaking and unable to get out of bed? Or would you just like not be high that day? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what's interesting. Um, There is an actual thing called cannabis use disorder. Okay. So a person must manifest at least two of the 11 symptoms that Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders set forth. That's like the the DSM-5. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Such a weird name Mm -hmm. for it too. Um, And they must occur in the same 12-month period. So only two out of the 11, and it has to happen within one year, which I— you know, I almost feel like there's a good amount of people after hearing these might think like, oh, maybe I may have had this. It could this. be me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll go through them real quickly because, again, I thought this was interesting because sure. for a long time, and I, Holly and I talked before we did this, the idea of being addicted to weed we thought was like not Crazy. an actual thing. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, but there is some there is some truth to it. Okay. Um, okay. So here are the 11 symptoms that you want to look for. Right. Loss of control, using more marijuana. So this article uses marijuana, which is supposedly like a slang term, but um, it's it's in here. Um, Using marijuana or using it for a longer period of time than intended. Number two, social impairments, not engaging in important work, social hobbies or recreational activities before uh, because of marijuana use. Three, the inability to stop having the desire to quit or to reduce the amount of marijuana used but not being able to do it. Four, ignoring risks, ongoing use of marijuana despite dangers that arise around it. Five, cravings, experiencing an urge to use marijuana when not using it. Six, frustra- uh, frustration of existing issues, ongoing use even though marijuana use is worsening an existing physical or psychological problem. Seven, troubles in main spheres of life due to marijuana use not being able to perform to one's familiar standard at home, work, or school. Eight, tolerance building, over time needing more marijuana in order to get the desired familiar effect. And I should mention that today's marijuana or today's weed has about 12% THC, but, you know, when they say, like, it's not your parents' marijuana. Yeah. They, before the Vietnam War, when it started to, like, hit here, that was um, 1% to 2% THC. Oh, wow. We now have, on average, uh, on most, is 12%. So it's much stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. So so before the Vietnam War, we were around 1% to 2% of sativa, mm-hmm. uh, like, cannabis that was in our area, which is more of a... Um, a sativa would be more of like a, uh, like a like an energizing, it's like version. an active, an active, yeah. Um, and then when they went to during the Vietnam War, I guess in the other countries they found indica, indica, the and said like the sedative one, yep. Mm-hmm. And that one was double the amount. So say it's like up to four to five wow. percent. 
And so they, the soldiers brought that back here. And that's like what, <gasps> like, that's when things got real psychedelic. Sure did. Um, and then it just kept growing. And those like, have you ever had like, never heard of dabs? Yeah. So dabs or resin. So like resin from your weed is, I think, about 10% THC. Because it's like distilled. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think dabs are like 20 or more, like 20 Yikes. to 30%. So yeah. So that's what's wild. <laughs> that's super wild. Yeah. So we're at about 12. So these kids are coming in to like 12% yeah, THC. Yeah, serious. Which is a lot. Uh, so nine, disregarding problems caused by use. Uh, dis- despite the negative impact that the marijuana use is having on relationships, continuing to use the drug. Ten, withdrawal. When not taking a familiar amount of marijuana or when stopping use completely, the emergence of withdrawal s- symptoms happen. And those can last for days. It can act like you can have exact withdrawal symptoms that you would have like with other wow. other things. So you get like the sweats and shakes and yeah. Um, and then lastly, the 11, disproportionate focus, dedicating too much time and too many resources to marijuana use. So it's yeah. definitely possible right. and it happens. And just, but that's like with anything. So uh-huh. you have to be careful. I mean, you can be addicted to internet shopping. It's- exactly. Mm, to farmhouse signs, you know, anything. <laughs> I want to see the person's house who is addicted to farmhouse signs. I feel like I've seen them. And you probably have. That's yeah. true. I feel like we've all been in a house. We're like, uh. I don't want to live, yeah. laugh, love anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so the evidence is mounting that, that regular marijuana use increases the chance that a teenager will develop psychosis. Okay. We mentioned this word. So I really tried to focus um, my research on the very little bit that I know of this case. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned psychosis and right. some other things. So I really tried to find that. And I just kept finding this evidence. Um, A pattern of unusual, so psychosis is a pattern of unusual thoughts or perceptions, such as believing the television is transmitting secret messages. Mm. Yeah. It also increases the risk of developing schizophrenia, a disabling brain disorder that not only causes psychosis, but also problems concentrating and loss of emotional expression. Those most at risk are youths who already have a mother, father, or sibling with schizophrenia or some other psychotic disorder. So it's not like you're not just like going to develop no, schizophrenia. schizophrenia which a lot is of, real genetic. Exactly, yeah. Um, a lot of um, articles, not a lot of them, but sometimes they're just like, you can get schizophrenia from smoking. That's not what they're saying. No. It's just that if you have this risk, you possibly, like smoking <gasps> weed when you're younger, like a, like a youth, mm-hmm. I would say under 25 before your brain mm-hmm. is fully developed, can be a problem. Reefer madness. Yeah. <laughs> so young people with a parent or sibling affected by psychosis have roughly one in ten chance of developing the conditions themselves. Even oh, that's if, a lot. Yep. Even if they've never smoked before. Regular marijuana use, however, doubles their risk to one in five chance of becoming psychotic. Yikes. But it's not clear how marijuana use might lead to psychosis. One theory is that marijuana may interfere with normal brain development during the teenage years and young adulthood. Right, and he started very early, so Mm -hmm. possible. The teenage brain is still a work in progress. Uh, Between the teen years and mid-20s, areas of the brain responsible for judgment and problem-solving are still making connections with emotional centers of the brain, and smoking marijuana may derail this process and so increase a young person's 
vulnerability to psychotic thinking. So I got this from um, Harvard's okay. site, um, and we can I'll share some of the articles that I found. Yeah. Um, so basically, all of my research was saying that as an adult, if you start, if you begin smoking pot, and especially with THC, so this isn't really for CBD, right? This is for uh, the THC when you can have like these euphoric feelings. As an adult, it's almost impossible to get that cannabis what's it called? Cannabis use disorder, but where for, you're like addicted. But for a youth, it's it's almost like you're, you are more likely to almost ingrain it into your brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> my COVID is like taking over COVID my brain madness. right now. <laughs> you're doing good. Not that it's much better than normal, but <laughs> <laughs> you're, as as a youth, you're just, you're still developing. So if you are smoking too much or ingesting, if you're just ingesting THC, mm-hmm. your your body is, I don't know, just going to be, a, I think it's going to affect your development more. Anything that's fogging that, Well, we all know kids receptors. that like smokes just nonstop throughout high school yeah. and they, they like burn out. That's why the phrase mm-hmm. is there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the more I research this, the more I hope that schools will do better at educating mm-hmm. youth about the effects. Right. Because there isn't, again, as adults, there really is very little evidence that there's anything wrong with even smoking like a, a lot of yeah. THC. It's yeah. like, it can be really great. You can like open up your mind to other things. Um, and there's all these benefits um, medicinally for it as oh, well. Yeah. Um, but under the right control, you you can use it to your benefit. Yeah. But as a kid, if you don't, if you're not using it under controlled environments, if your doctor isn't helping you with it, if you don't have the right amount, I mean, if, I mean, can you imagine the first time smoking and having 12% THC? Like if you, and you're like 13 and you're 13 and you're just like, wild. you don't know how much to have. Like, like, I mean, I'm sure. Kids also have no impulse control. Yeah. They'll just go forever. Like, this is great. That's like a exactly. little kid. If you put a, a like a bowl of candy in front of them, they're right. going to eat all the candy. Right. It's just it's just a lot. And then, But then for them to think that that's the normal, that's like the norm. Yeah, that's, that's what they should wild. keep doing. And if, so, say, somebody is going through some issues and they're finding it helping at all, whether it's just masking any pain that they're having mm-hmm. or masking, um, it's just making them feel maybe a little bit more alive than they felt. Or like dull to whatever their circumstances are. They're going to maybe um, go to that verse, like talking to somebody or trying to figure out It'll become a crutch. Yeah. So um, it does seem to have some negative effects for youngsters. Specifically kids. That's interesting. Specifically kids, yeah. It's It's almost like not an issue unless, obviously, there are some people that just cannot have it like of they there but it's also like a brain it's the way that they the brain is wired so it just might not work for some people which yeah. is fine which and, and you need to be aware of that which is why the education needs to be out there sure. so kids actually understand what it is yeah um and then the science about it being a gateway drug is also like not quite there they just said it's um we just happens to be one of those ones that is more readily available yeah as an illegal drug which is one of the thoughts as to make it legal, it right. actually should help keep it out of younger kids' hands, like off the streets. Oh, no, I agree, for sure. Yeah. Um, but they don't, They most doctors, most researchers can't 
they don't really stick behind the fact that it's a gateway drug right. to other drugs. Right, right, right. Yeah. That concept is, is bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. So that's, that's what I have. I hope that was helpful. I think it was very helpful. So that's where we're at with the cannabis consumption. Tyler was also spending less time with his old friends in favor of his new ones who like to do drugs and get into trouble. His brother Ryan remembers not liking this crowd and becoming concerned for Tyler. A neighborhood mom remembers telling her son that he could no longer hang out with Tyler after she caught him smoking in the woods with a few older boys. This was a shock as Tyler was previously considered to be a happy and polite kid who just liked to ride his bike and skateboard around the neighborhood. Mm. Um, I will, so... (laughs) I know how I wrote this, but what you were asking about how, like, like Tyler in class. Yeah. Like, mooing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people being like, he's high. Yeah. So, to speak, just to speak on that. Yeah. You're, the point you were getting at, which is very true, mostly, and most of the weed that they're getting off the street is probably going to be, like, that indica. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's generally more calming. Yeah. So if anything, he's going to be more sedated. He's going to be like asleep. Yeah. No, he's not going to be jumping up and moving exactly. in class. Exactly. Even even if it was the other one, which is sativa, which is more active, if he does have some like ADHD issue. That's what I would have said. It would have, it would have like almost calmed him in a good way. Like it would yeah. have, it, yeah. it would have worked a little bit differently. But yeah, I don't think that, yeah. I don't know. But just saying that, it's it's more of a yeah. good feeling it's than wild. it is. It's wild to assume that yeah. he was like jumping up in class and laughing or mooing because he was high. That I would hope if that my, that were my child, the, their teacher would call me and say, I think your child has unchecked ADHD. Yeah. That's way more symptomatic of that, that yeah. or, or like some kind of amphetamine issue than, mm-hmm. than it is being high. But a lot of people like to say it was because he was high. I think it was because he wasn't high. <laughs> Could have been. Could have also been, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I just realized that I didn't really hit uh, you, upon specifically right. what you wanted. You had a lot of stuff. <laughs> so when this mother who caught Tyler smoking in the woods approached his mother, Mary Jo, she simply replied that Tyler didn't smoke. She said, my son, my son doesn't smoke. That's it. Yeah, okay. The trouble didn't stop there, though. Tyler was no longer listening at home. He was staying out long past curfew and showing up home uh, drunk or high whenever he decided the night was over. His parents were kind of beside themselves. They'd, he had begun, not they, he had begun doing ecstasy and opiates and committing petty crimes as well, which quickly escalated to more major offenses. Now, these new friends, they were bored and angry. One afternoon, they lit an old couch on fire in a clearing in the River Park Wildlife Preserve, which started a pretty significant fire. They just wanted to watch it burn. Because of their age, the police let the boys off with a warning, which was nice but didn't slow them down for a second. Trouble was exciting, and nothing else in that town was exciting. After that, Tyler was arrested and convicted of burglary, for which he received a mere slap on the wrist again because of his age. Another alarming thing to consider is that Tyler never really hid what he was doing, even though he knew well it was wrong. And this is something that sticks out to me, because a kid that has absolutely no, like they're totally impervious to consequences, is not a typical thing. In fact, it's also a major symptom for something called oppositional defiant disorder, which is a conduct disorder that features, among other things, symptoms like purposefully antagonizing authority figures and having no regard for the rules. ODD. Mm Mm-hmm. Most kids, typical kids, do not want to be caught doing drugs and lighting things on fire. Mm Mm-hmm. But Tyler didn't seem to care. Yeah. Which brings us to April of 2011, just a few months before the party. Tyler got arrested for aggravated battery after getting into a fight while intoxicated at a friend's house. 
Now, a minor would usually get a little leniency for something like this, but leniency is not on the table anymore because Tyler has exhausted all of it. Given his burglary arrest, this offense had to carry some jail time. He was sent to Rock Road, which is the Port St. Lucie County Jail. That's the nickname for it. He was sent there for a week, and that was to be followed by two weeks of house arrest. When he returned home from jail, Tyler's mother, Mary Jo, took his phone, which to most of us feels like a pretty reasonable response, but it filled Tyler with white-hot rage. That's when he started talking about killing her. Facebook conversations reveal that he talked about this pretty openly and aggressively at times. He called his mother a cunt and said that he should kill her. It's pretty aggressive and awful. He also started talking about suicide, like in this inexplicable conversation he had with a classmate named Isadora Gashko. Gasho? Gascho? G-A-S-C-H-O. Anyway, Tyler, don't text me about drugs. Isadora, what happened? Tyler, my mom has it because I got arrested on Monday and she's flipping shit. I just got out today. Isadora, oh shit. Tyler, fucking shit sucked. Isadora, you bad, kid. Tyler, just kidding. It's a pirate's life for me. <laughs> Isadora, LMAO. Lumafeo. Lumafeo. Isadora, WTF are you talking about? Tyler, I don't fucking associate with non-pirates. Caps lock. Isadora, what? Tyler, okay, I'm done with all the nautical nonsense. Isadora, smile emoji. Isadora, you're so silly. Isadora, what are you doing? Tyler, nothing. Considering suicide. Isadora, why? Tyler Hadley, um, because I want to die, I guess. Tyler, what other reasons are there? Isadora, are you being serious? Tyler, yes. Tyler, I do want to die sometimes. Isadora, don't die. Isadora, smoke a bowl whenever you're down. Tongue out emoji. Tyler, I used to. Now I drink a lot when I'm depressed. Tyler, caps locked. It fills the emptiness inside me. Isadora, you're quite a character. Um, tongue out emoticon. Tyler, yes, but all my smiles are fake. Okay, listen, this is alarming. This is so sad. But... It's not outside the realm of conversation for teenagers. No, that's, that at sounds all. just, that looks like my teenagers' conversations. Right. When I was in high school, my best friend used to talk in detail about how our whole group of friends should commit mass suicide because her boyfriend moved away. Yeah. We didn't stay friends for long after that because I got scared and she hated that about me. <laughs> was that terrifying? Absolutely. Did it end in murder? What if I said it did? What if this was the moment where I was like, and guys, my best friend in high school murdered people. Oh my God. <laughs> she didn't, and it's not. But like, okay. while I was writing it, I was like, what if- What if it did? What if I was like, did it end in murder? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, of course it didn't. I'm, that would be super weird if it did. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm fine, she's fine, we're all fine. And the jail time didn't stop Tyler's bad behavior. In June of 2011, Tyler came home falling down drunk after attending a party and urinating on the host's bed. Okay. Yeah. People love to urinate at house parties. I guess they do. And not in the toilet, everywhere. Yeah. His parents, Mary Jo specifically, because, as we mentioned, she was a disciplinarian, had basically had enough at this point. She took Tyler's car and phone and had him involuntarily committed the very next day to a mental health clinic called New Horizons. 
Now, she was able to do this because Tyler at the time was under 18, and in the state of Florida, minors can be involuntarily committed if they pose a danger to themselves or others and resist treatment. This is enforced by a state law called the Baker Act, which, quote, seeks to enable families and loved ones to provide emergency mental health services and temporary detention for people who are impaired because of their mental illness and who are unable to determine their needs for treatment, which he did, and she did. After returning from New Horizons, Blake and Mary Jo began exploring inpatient drug rehabilitation programs for Tyler, which he did not want any part of, mm-hmm. obviously. A few days after this, Ryan, his brother, moved to North Carolina with his girlfriend, Ke- Kelly. Tyler went along uh, for the wa- ride with Ryan, so they drove from Florida to North Carolina, and he was like, I'm going to have Tyler come with me. We can, like, bond. I know he's been troubled. Maybe this will be good for him, like, while he was getting in his new apartment and stuff. And then it was planned that Tyler would fly home. Um, but, like, none of that nice bonding stuff really happened. Tyler slept the whole drive, and then they watched a few movies in his apartment, and then he flew home, and that was it. Mm. Then during the first week in July, Tyler and his dad, so this ha- that happened in, like, mid-June. Then during the first week in July, Tyler his da- and his dad met up with Ryan at a family reunion in Georgia. They passed a fine time and then went home. On Friday, July 15th, Tyler saw his psychologist, who deemed him not a threat to himself or others and showing no signs of psychosis. That night, he went to dinner with his parents and grandparents at Longhorn Steakhouse. He went home and went to bed. That night, when the house was quiet and still, he snuck into the garage and grabbed a pair of hedge clippers. He crept silently into Blake and Mary Jo's room, standing at the foot of their bed, staring at their throats, wondering what it would take to slit them while they slept. He stood there for a while, unnoticed and then retreated. Oh, I know I hate people watching other like in their sleep, they're sleeping and they didn't know that happened and their kid was just standing there with big scissors staring at them. That's oh, a nightmare. Yeah. The next day, Tyler was up rather early. His parents woke up, had breakfast and went to a farmers market together. And Tyler spoke online to his friend Matt Noble again via Facebook as he didn't have his phone. Uh, this message uh, this messenger conversation rather happened at 9:40 a.m. And here's a little bit of it. It went like this. Matt, did you do it? Tyler, no, but I'm gonna. Matt, bet? Matt, you really should now. Matt, do it. Tyler, don't worry, I am. Tyler, then I'm having a party. Matt, yeah, party time. And word without the hard R. He said the real word, but I will not be doing that. Yeah, so like you just talked about it online pretty openly. But again... He could have been dead serious, and he was, but why would you assume he was? If you were a teenager, you'd just be like, this is some dumb badass shit we're talking about and not going to do. Yeah. Although most of them don't get to like, it's going to happen today. I, at least I don't think. But like still, I think teens especially as- suspend that like Superman disbelief that they're like, nothing bad could ever happen to me. Nothing bad will ever happen to the people I know. This is just Uh some kid blowing off steam and talking shit, and we're all going to forget about it tomorrow. Yeah. But that wasn't what was happening. Then at 1.15 that afternoon, he updated his Facebook status. said, Tyler Hadley, party at my crib tonight. Maybe. Okay, so we're just about at the party. Leslie, I think we could use a little refresher on 2011 as we're going into a crazy house party in 2011. What were things like? What music would we be partying to? What were the cool kids wearing? Tell us. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so, you know, you're getting your outfit on. Totally. This is, this is what you might be wearing. Selena Gomez made hair feathers look really cool and fun. For sure. <laughs> 
Gossip Girl-inspired headbands to find your inner Blair Waldorf. Uh, probably not at this party. <laughs> adding, <laughs> adding a cute fedora to your outfit made you look cool and interesting. Or very, very, very douchey. <laughs> but, but, well, no, it wasn't douchey yet. It was okay. cute for girls, but it's when it got the guys, that's when it All got right, douchey, fair enough. right? Mm-hmm. Bubble skirts and dresses. Uh, one of my favorite black dresses was a bubble dress, and I would cinch it with a wide brown belt. Um, not a nipple belt, but like an actual. No, not a nipple not belt. Not a nipple belt. Shocking. And wear it to match my uh, the same color Steve Madden boots. Cute. Really cute. I love this. Yeah. I'll find a picture and post it because I Ugh. literally have this from 2011. I'm excited. <laughs> um, if you decided against the fedora, it was probably because you wanted to sport a snooky poof. Which Probably. I also have a photo of me with my snooky poof. Uh, <laughs> I like to poof for a while, too. There was a boho bands. Uh, were super stylish then. Tribal prints were popular. Statement tights were fun. It was no longer normal. Uh, no longer normal or fishnet. You had pick of a ton of different patterns. Get your tights on. Yeah. Maxi skirts and dresses were coming back because this was like right after the I had very like a hundred maxi dresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tunic dresses with leggings were now trending, and they never stopped. Oh, so comfortable. (laughs) Oversized cocktail rings were a fun accessory. Still fun. And skull print scarves had made the scene, so yes. Also still good. Yes. (laughs) This was, um, okay, so also at this party, a must-have on your mixtape, Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO. 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 We Found Love with Brianna. Oh, good. Yes. Till the world ends, Britney Spears. Hold it against me, Britney Spears. I want to go, 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 Britney Spears. Is <laughs> <laughs> there a little Britney Spears going on then? Yeah. All right, good. Moves like Jagger, Maroon 5. What? That was that long ago? That was that long ago? Yikes. Um, do you remember David Guetta? Because like he was everywhere this year. Lo- Titanium. him. Without you. Where them girls at? Where them girls at? Uh, Lady Gaga, Edge of Glory. That's like how long ago that, right? Why? That doesn't seem that long ago. No. Feel good. Sexy and I know it. Yeah. Another LMFAO song. Yeah. Um, What Makes You Beautiful by One Direction. And this was cool now, even though it wasn't Christmas. All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey. Just always. Now now it's always a party favorite. Closes out the night. Yep. It's great. You would be drinking Jaeger bombs, Ugh. Heineken lights, Gatorade shots. Ooh, Gatorade shots? Yeah. Of like actual Gatorade? No, have you ever? It's like, um, it's just the color. Oh. It's like a vodka. Yeah. They're, they're so good. But this was like huge in 2011. I remember like constantly drinking. These. I had a newborn child. Oh, yeah. I was like 24. I was ready to go. No, that's when Violet, Violet was born that <laughs> April. And this was also, so 2011 is also Jersey Shore era, so this is by the Snooky Poof, right? So Jaeger bombs. Jaeger bombs. Ugh. Jaeger bombs are so gross. Yeah. Gatorade shots is, um, if you're a newbie 21-year-old and you need a shot, have a Gatorade shot. It's great. There you go. It's so good. Uh, Red Stag was was in. Oh, that whiskey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the whiskey. And Fireball has just started getting huge again. Oh, Lord. Yeah, and uh, and it was really popular to go out with, like, to have a cigarette after, like, taking a shot of Fireball. So that was cool. cigarettes were still like cool to have in 2011. I smoked for a long time. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, like, I stopped when I had my baby. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like a mom smoking away, mm-hmm. all pregnant with a newborn baby. But before that, yeah, I would like. You, I remember smoking in bars. Yeah. I also remember enjoying going outside 
exactly. to like have a break yep. from the bar. That's what to yeah, like stand that's, outside and smoke. That was mm-hmm. that was something I actually not I only wrote, missed when I quit smoking, but just missed like in general life. I'm like, oh, it was nice to walk away from it for yeah. a few minutes. So I wrote I wrote a lot of this when I was um when I had a high fever. Cause I love Because we had to we had to wait on this episode because I was I was so sick. Yeah. But I wrote a lot of this in a high fever. So there are some lines here where I was like, what? And this was this one just <laughs> said, friends would go out for a sig after a shot of fireball. Like I mu- I must have written it down and tried to place it somewhere. Oh no. <laughs> but I do remember that being like still kosher. Like even if you weren't a smoker. It's just you would find yourself like, yeah, I'll just... I wasn't. I didn't do this. I just knew. I don't really see any of my friends leaving to go get a cigarette now. No. Yeah. No, that's that's all but stopped. But when I was younger, yeah, like that, everybody did. Mm-hmm. It was super common for people to like every, like so often they would, you would step outside and smoke a cigarette. And I wasn't a smoker, but I would get like, I would have like a shot or a drink and then go stand outside for a little bit and then come back in. So it was just, you just I remember a, having a done that with you yeah. when I was younger. I was like, yeah, I'll get my coat. I'll yeah, you just stand outside. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're like, cool. This is, and you were right. It was nicer to be out there for a minute away from like the insanity. Yeah. So. I'd usually like get my dance on and then need it to like like cool off. Yeah. 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 So all that. these cool kids are smoking away. Yeah. I do just... mention that. So that's a good job. You did okay, it. Okay, cool. Smoking was cool. <laughs> um so at this point we have it's 115 and we have party at my crib tonight. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, well there isn't much to do about a maybe party. And because of, you know, everything about Tyler's life, most of the kids the message reached thought Tyler was lying. That is, if they knew him. A lot of them didn't know him at all. But still, the thought of a house party was exciting. And then again at 8.15, Tyler posted, quote, party at my house, HMU. Mm. And kids did. They hit him right up and, and messaged with questions and concerns. <laughs> because they're like, well, how are you having a party? Like, what's going on? But Tyler seemed to have an answer for everything. Classmate Ashley Hayes messaged, whoa, what if your parents come home? Oh, that's such a f- high school. Yep name. Ashley Hayes. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> they won't, replied Tyler. Oh. Trust me. Oh. Several more friends expressed their surprise that Tyler's parents would let him do something like this, but he simply told them that they weren't home and wouldn't be for a few days and that the party was on. Word traveled fast, and it traveled far beyond Tyler's smart, small group of friends and classmates. Just 45 minutes later, at 9 o'clock, guests began to trickle in. And sometime in this small window... I don't have an exact time on it. Tyler had gone to an ATM with his father's debit card and withdrawn like $5,000. It's 2011. ATMs all have cameras. Yeah. Anyway, just— Also, how—I thought there's like a limit. I don't know. Wild. Maybe he had several. Okay. I mean, um, maybe maybe his didn't, but maybe not. I know a lot of them have a limit to how much you could take out. Again, this is like the the money is like a weird footnote because the evidence is all there, and it's not necessary to trace his crime whatsoever. But yeah. it's just kind of there. So at nine o'clock, there's a few kids there. They're playing beer pong and listening to loud rap music. They were kind of spread out in the house. The lights were dim. It's a house party, except for the fact that most of the people there barely knew Tyler at all. Yeah. They kind of were like, oh, I think that's the kid that's throwing the party. And some of them didn't even know which one of them lived there. Mm. They just saw it on Facebook because a party circulated. The house was by no means clean. There was clutter all around and a sticky rust-colored substance one guest said looked like paint that hadn't been thoroughly cleaned smeared in the threshold of a doorway. Pictures and frames had obviously been removed from the walls. You know how you can see like the coloration difference. 
when you take one down that's been for a long there for a long time. The furniture had been taken out of rooms or shifted around. The house just looked weird and like kind of bare. Mm. Again, house party. You might put your better furniture somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There were cases of beer on the kitchen counter and a table set up to play beer pong. And initially, Tyler had asked that nobody smoke inside when people were like, hey, what's the rules? Because apparently going to these house parties, you asked for rules when you got in the door. Yeah. I was just assumed that I wouldn't be an animal, but they, <laughs> they weren't. And Tyler said, you can basically do whatever you want. Just don't make a lot of noise and don't smoke inside. This is my parents' house. But other than that, you know, whatever, it didn't matter. And these kids really took that to heart. By 11.30, there were over 60 guests in the Hadley home, and the party had gone from a little rowdy to completely out of control at warp speed. The Hadley's quiet home was destroyed. The no-smoking rule had quickly gone out the window because people were standing outside, like you said, talking, and they were loud. Mm -hmm. So Tyler just kind of abandoned that, was like, it's fine, you can smoke inside, because what he really didn't want people to be was loud. Um, But they were then taking their cigarettes and putting them out on the floors and on the furniture. Yeah. What kind of fucking animals are these people? The kitchen had been ransacked. There were snack foods laying open and crummy on the counter and sticky floor. Someone had made Kraft mac and cheese because someone always makes Kraft mac and cheese. (laughs) And the pot was left on the counter. Cheesy plates scattered about in its wake. (laughs) Common. (laughs) I've seen this. Trash was piled up around the house. Stuff like beer cans, solo cups, liquor bottles, cigarette boxes, etc. Furniture had been overturned and ripped. Drinks had been spilled. Glasses broken and crushed cans littered the floor. And the chaos started to spill out onto the front lawn. So this is a real messy party. This is why you always need, like, two girlfriends that are, like, keeping it tidy. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Drinking and smoking cigarettes weren't the only thing going on at this party, either. There was a kid walking around with a baggie of pills, selling them individually. Another couple, right? It's not. You got the pill kid there. It's going downhill fast. Yeah. Another couple individuals had marijuana for sale. We know for sure that there were drugs, just not how many and precisely what kind. I don't know if you can believe this, but um, kids didn't really want to tell. Oh, shocking. Weird. Right, I know, so weird. Tyler's room had cigars gutted all over the floor, so somebody had just rolled a whole bunch of blunts. Um, for those of you who are not super cool and don't know, that's um, cannabis inside the leaves of a cigar paper. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Right, of course. You had no idea. Mm -mm. I can only venture to guess also that a few people had gotten sick at this point. Yeah. You can't have a party that rowdy without people puking somewhere. No, 100%. Couples were finding dark corners to fool around in or bedrooms to do more than that in. I always thought that was wild. Just like, I mean, I guess teens have to find a place, but. (laughs) They do. Yeah. No. (laughs) Commenting. And the kids just kept coming, one after another, after another, after another. Cell phones were buzzing all over Port St. Lucie with the word that they had to get to Tyler Hadley's party because it was the place to be. And a reminder, all of this happened in the span of three hours. Wow. Yeah. And I have to wonder why. This was a kid with very few friends and not a good reputation. Of the 60 guests in attendance, only a handful of them actually knew Tyler personally. And of the ones that did know him, only a fraction of them actually liked him. It was a Saturday night in July. How did none of the teenagers in a 10-mile radius have anything better to do? Why would they all simultaneously just say fuck it and go to a party they knew damn well was some kind of trouble hosting by a kid, hosted by a kid they didn't know or like? I would, oh, sorry, you go. Probably on. because, <laughs> okay. in addition to being <laughs> the place to be, it was the only place to be. Uh-huh. Is that where you were going? That and also because did would these kids 
know that he was like in and out of like a psychiatric. Some of them probably. I mean, so people they were probably talk. like, "This kid is wild, super wild." All all of the negative reasons to not go are the exact <laughs> reasons that kids would go. You know, I didn't even think of that. You're right. Everything <laughs> you said, you were just like, "What? Like he's he's trouble," and like, is this is gonna be a yeah. That shit crazy party. Like, he probably has the best pills. He probably the pill kid will definitely yeah. be at this party. Everyone thinks he smokes weed. He probably has it. Let's go. <laughs> you know you're not wrong. So but the other the other factor is that poor St. Lucie, Florida was not built with children in mind. The target residents were retirees looking for somewhere peaceful to spend their golden years and tourists looking to get away from the cold. Before the 1950s, Port St. Lucie was mostly rural wilderness and swamp. There wasn't even a bridge to connect the mainland. Residents used to go to the grocery store in a rowboat. Oh, Isn't that cute? I love that. I know. It's really cute. <laughs> in the early 1950s, a man named Gardner Cowles, who happened to be the owner of Look Magazine, mm. and his investors bought a large acreage between Port Saint, uh, Fort Pierce sorry, and Stewart. Stewart, incidentally, is where Blake Hadley's parents lived. His and name it, was, sorry, his name was Gardner Cowles? Yes, it was. <laughs> From Look Magazine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love him. And in 1953, they recorded the plot for a new subdivision called River Park. He and his team began an intense advertising campaign throughout the country. Gardner Cowles used his widely popular magazine, you know, the one that Ralphie slips a BB gun ad into for his mother to stumble upon in yeah. A Christmas Story. Oh. When he's like, when she looks through the pages of Look Magazine. It's that <gasps> yes. one. Okay. Anyway, um, Gardner Cowles owned that one, and he used his magazine to place colorful, enticing ads for the new community. These ads were aimed at not families or young people, but retirees. Why, you ask? Well, retiring to Florida had become massively popular since there is no state income tax and the state does not tax retirement income or social security benefits. Mm. There are also no estate or inheritance taxes and property taxes are reasonable. All of this makes Florida financially very appealing to seniors looking to save money in their retirement, which I found interesting because I never really know, knew why so many people retired to Florida. Yeah, I thought it was just the warm weather. Me too. So if you add all that financial stuff, throw in beaches and the weather, and you've got yourself an old person paradise, basically. Wow. Yeah. Old person paradise. <laughs> That's our other perfume. Yeah. It doesn't smell good. <laughs> so everyone else should stay away from Florida, by the way. But it's for old people, it's pretty good. Um, (laughs) By 1958, Port St. Lucie boasted 42 households until brothers Frank, Robert, and Elliot Mackle, the owners of General Development Corporation, otherwise known as GDC, purchased 5,500 acres from the Cowles Group. Seeing unrealized, and they did this in 1958, seeing unrealized potential in what Gardner Cowles had done, they took his modest community and advertising campaign and made it bigger, way bigger. Ads went out in every major publication across the country, including like Life and Time magazine, advertising the Florida Dream, which was a beautiful sun-kissed home near the untouched coastline in Newport, St. Lucie, Florida. In this low granny tax wonderland, you could buy a home for just $1,000, or rather $9.95.99 at $10 down and $10 a month. Oh my God. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's crazy. With that interest, you would basically be paying the, for the rest of your life, but like the rest of your life was like not that long. So, yeah. so this worked out in everyone's favor, and blue-haired opportunists from all over the country <laughs> just came flooding into Florida. Oh, man. At the same time, the Mackle brothers set up the Port St. Lucie Country Club, which opened in 1961, just before the city was incorporated. 
Much of the the immediate area around the club was developed into 1,285 homes that were sold to investors who could use them for vacation and then put them into the rental pool when they were not there. When they were ready, the investors could also move into their home or sell it. So now we have a community designed solely for retirees and tourists that cater exclusively to golfing. Mm-hmm. And who plays the most golf? Rich old white people. Right. So by the 1980s, Port St. Lucie became the fastest growing city in the United States. According to Rolling Stone, quote, the winding suburban lanes were graded so quickly that no one bothered to make sure the street names were spelled correctly. <laughs> this is so funny. Driving through the city today, you will pass Galaxy, G-A-L-A-X-I-E Street, Voltaire, V-O-L-T-A-I-R Terrace, Hershey, H-E-R-S-H-Y, Circle, (laughs) Twilight, T-W-Y-L-I-T-E, Terrace. (laughs) The names were designed to give the former swampland a patina of sophisticated grandeur. The street on which the Hadley family had since 1987 been actually named Grandeur. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's all the quote from Rolling Stone. So is there just like a ton of... Like alligators there too, probably. Yeah, because a lot of it is undeveloped swampland still. If you do, if if a plot didn't get a house, it was it's just marsh and yeah. there's just animals. So like a thousand dollars for a home and a ton of alligators and anacondas. Yeah, and like <laughs> bobcats and wild boars, yeah. which are also indigenous to that part of Florida. Right, right. So all of this growth and development though was rather short sighted because retirement does not last forever, and the economic recession came along and leveled Port St. Lucie. Mm. People were less apt to pay to buy a second home or stop working at their reliable job in their golden years when money was scarce. And so a lot of homes that went up as quick as lightning in Port St. Lucie never found themselves owners. And Leslie, you and I can attest to this phenomenon. Living in a tourist town during a recession is terrifying. And I remember a time when Wildwood shot up with condos, like hundreds and thousands of condos, and then none of them had occupants. Yep. They Mm -hmm. were just empty for years. Yeah. Well, Wildwood's a weird town because it's, like, the decor of it is what is, like, that doo-wop. Doo-wop, mm-hmm. And so it just, it hasn't been updated since. So if you just, like, go into it in the dead of it's winter. It's like time traveling. It is. Yeah, it's weird. You're just like, oh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all the empty condos, it's very creepy. Yeah. Yep. Also, like, the town that I just moved out of was also covered in empty homes. Yes. Because yeah. people just, uh, they sold them and or they they had them and they couldn't afford them and they lost them and then they just sit there. So this is definitely a thing that, it, that happens and that's what happened in Port St. Lucie in the late 80s. The families that did eventually creep into the area were attracted to the idyllic scenery and super low real estate prices. But once they were there, they found themselves with little to nothing to offer their kids in the way of stuff to do. Look up Port St. Lucie on any tourism site and you will find that the, quote, top 15 things to do there are like (laughs) 10 of them are take a leisurely walk around a nature preserve. And the other five are golf, watch people golf, look at boats, bird watch, and bird watch people from a boat. And house party at Tyler Hadley's. Yep, and that's the last one. (laughs) This is thrilling for teens, bird watching and boating. According to— Sounds like Cape May. It does. It is a lot like Cape May. But also, there are a lot of young people with drug problems in Cape May. Yeah. uh, So it is is very similar. Yep. Um, According to Rolling Stone, Port St. Lucie was, quote, and I just loved this quotation, a tomb designed for the soon-to-be-entombed. It had half a dozen golf courses, twice as many assisted living homes, seven funeral homes, two bingo halls, and a shuffleboard club. There was no access to the beach, even though you're in Florida, which you think beaches all over the place. There was no downtown and no place for teenagers to hang out at night. 
other than a giant arcade called Super Play USA, which advertises itself as a state-of-the-art family playground, there was nothing. Even parks were closed at night. Yeah. Brutal. Again, that is just like Kate May. You're right. When left with nothing else to do, kids are going to find some way to keep themselves occupied, and you probably aren't going to like it. According to a study by Columbia University's National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, young people ages 12 to 17 who are frequently bored are 50% likelier than those who are not often bored to smoke, drink, get drunk, and use illegal drugs. Well, it's a good thing there isn't, like, an unreasonable amount of drugs in Port St. Lucie, right? (laughs) Oh, wait. Mm. Remember all of those empty houses and lots we talked about real quick a couple paragraphs ago? Well, it turns out that they were very cheap to buy and outfit as grow houses for cannabis farmers. Well, no, no, no. I like cannabis farmers. They do a lovely business and provide a needed service and rarely hurt anyone. These were straight up Miami drug dealers who knew an opportunity when they saw one. They don't call it Pot St. Lucie for nothing. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And while a little village of weed farmers would do nothing but make the place infinitely more chill, a brigade of Miami drug dealers and their hired help spending vast amounts of time in the area made things less chill by a long shot. It also made drugs um, for kids super available. (laughs) Like you could just get anything anywhere. So now we have a bunch of really bored kids with no outlets and a cornucopia of available drugs. What do you think teens are doing there? I don't know. Macraming hanging plant holders? Planting tomatoes for the abundant elderly? Mm. No, they're bored as fuck and waiting for a party. And when they get one, they're going to max it out because it is literally the only thing going on for miles and miles and days and days. This is why all towns need roller rinks. I rest my case. Yeah. And pool halls. Sure. And laser tag. Laser tag. I love laser tag. So back to the party. It's 1130 and there are approximately 60 people in the Hadley home and the number is swelling by the minute. And remember that this is a suburban home and not a McMansion either. It has three bedrooms, a small kitchen, an open floor plan dining room, living room, with the washer and the dryer in the garage. The bulk of the people have gathered in common areas. One bedroom is locked from the inside. The other two contain small pockets of drug users. It is packed in that place. Packed and sweaty. One partygoer approached the beer pong table and joked, I smell dead people. And while it probably was just sweaty Florida teens... You have to wonder. Another Pong player, this one a collegiate soccer player who wishes to remain anonymous, and who can blame him, dropped the ball during a game and watched it roll under a nearby computer desk, coming to a stop in a small pool of tacky brown liquid. Now, I would have thought this was old cola or melted candy, or I don't know, any number of gross and reasonable things. So the soccer boy picked up the ball, took it to the sink, washed it off, and kept playing. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. As midnight approached, the number of people at the party had climbed to nearly 100, and things got loud. But where was Tyler? Sitting around like king of the castle, pouring drinks and high-fiving the popular athletes that normally wouldn't give him the time of day, wading through a sea of pretty girls, handing out his phone number like comedy club flyers in Times Square? None of the above. He was mostly walking around nervously alone. Sometimes he would pass a bit of time with one of his close friends and then move on to another one before going back to the first. For a while, he sat in a truck bed in the front yard, just sat in the bed of a truck. Hmm. Fun. Everyone in attendance commented on his behavior. Everyone said, Tyler was behaving strange, but Tyler was always strange. Right. That is like the very common comment. He wasn't exactly policing people's activities, but he was watching everyone intently and periodically peering through the windows. 
guests said his eyes were like giant black marbles and his hands never stopped moving. So they were all pretty sure he was on ecstasy. Even the people who didn't know Tyler immediately could pick him out. It wasn't hard to. At six foot one, dressed in all black, he gave off a rather unintentional Grim Reaper vibe that was pretty easy to spot. Pair it with those black eyes and you've got yourself a haunting specter. Hmm. Now we can dance around Tyler's actions any way we want, but really, drugs or no drugs, he looked paranoid. And while he never seemed to mind that the house was being destroyed, he was extremely nervous about the noise. He did not want the cops showing up and he made that clear. That's why, as I said earlier, he ditched the no smoking inside rule. Tyler did have neighbors and they were home, which is another thing that like blows my mind. His neighbors were just home during this. Even though these people had known him since birth and would not necessarily want to call the police on him, he knew that everybody had limits. Wiz Khalifa songs blared through the computer while guests shouted over them and knocked over furniture. YouTube was for some reason the only way they could listen to music at this party. Okay. I know. Whatever. And so guests would periodically make their way to the computer to play DJ in turn. But more than a few of them noticed that the computer desk was particularly filthy, which is a lot to say given the state of the rest of the house. Oh yeah, that makes sense because it's... I don't know. I don't know when Spotify and all that started. I don't think. But yet. it would just be they'd just be on there and they could just search yeah. anything. They could probably watch music videos too. Yeah, the computer keyboard was covered in tacky brown liquid, and no attempt had seemed to have been made to clean it up. The liquid was also on the floor and on the desk. Whatever it had been, seemingly spilled all over the place. Hmm. But where were Tyler's parents? That's the question that should have been on everyone's mind. And though many of them had asked everyone seemed to have gotten a different answer. There were a few explanations floating around. Some people had heard the Hadleys were on vacation in Georgia, which was believable since the Hadleys had just gone to a family reunion there. Some people heard that they had gone on vacation in Orlando, which is believable because people vacation in Orlando. Some people heard his parents simply didn't live there anymore, which is a bit of a stretch. And some people were told that the house just belonged to Tyler now. Which is an even bigger stretch because no 17-year-old sorry, just suddenly has a house. But since most of the people there didn't even know Tyler, they didn't ask too many follow-up questions. Not their shit, not their fan. One kid simply said, oh, he killed his parents, and then walked away with a laugh. And I bet you that kid feels like a terrifying psychic right now. Yeah. Because that is a joke you would make. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, he just killed his parents. And then he did. <sighs> you, you don't get over that. I would never get over that if that were me. Or what if that's like what Tyler told him and he thought he was just joking? Also possible. And so then he just like, he just kept up the joke. He's like, I didn't know Tyler could be so funny. Also totally possible <laughs> given what happens next. At approximately 12.30, the beer supply began to dwindle. Mm. So Tyler asked his friend Mark Andrews, who happened to be 21, and Mark's girlfriend, Ashley... Gershman to drive him to the Sunoco gas station a block away because in Florida, gas stations sell beer. Mm -hmm. So he could restock. And this is where the evening begins to take a weird turn. Tyler handed Mark the beer money and sent him inside. And while they waited in the car, Tyler mentioned to Ashley that his father had died. Ashley, who didn't know the Hadleys from a hole in the wall, just figured he died a while ago and that Tyler was having the drunk sads. She expressed her sympathy and that was that. Tyler had also told at least one friend that his father, Blake, was not actually his biological father, which was a total lie. And so the statement, quote, my father died, really could have meant anything to anyone, depending on where it landed. Mm, okay. When they returned to the house with beer, the destruction had begun to spread onto the neighbor's properties. 
one kid had uprooted a mailbox and ran inside with it screaming, which was one of the few things that night that set Tyler off. That was someone else's property, someone who would probably call the cops. No cops. After that, Mark Andrews, the guy who bought the beer, had seen enough and probably didn't want to be arrested for contributing to the delinquency of minors, so he decided to leave. Tyler asked if they could talk in private before he left, and Mark agreed. The following quotations are from the Rolling Stone article, though I believe that their original source was one of Mark's interviews with the police, but it isn't stated, so let's take the precise phrasing of this with a grain of salt. Tyler, quote, Dude, I did some things. I might go to prison. I might go away for life. I don't know, dude. I'm freaking out right now. Mark, what are you talking about? Tyler, dude, I know you're not going to believe me. No one will believe me. I freaking killed somebody. And then Mark responded, dude, you killing somebody is your own business. Don't be telling me that sort of thing. I don't need to know. And left. What? What a weird way to respond. Well, yeah, maybe. Or this guy is just fed up with him. Like maybe, maybe he's just, I don't, I don't know their full relationship, but maybe he's dealt with Tyler in the past of like just saying some annoying things. Maybe. And he was just kind of like, I just need to get out of here. There's too much shit happening at this party. I mean, it definitely could be, but like also this is not a very good look for Mark. (laughs) You're killing people is your own business. Not like, listen, dude, please don't sell me lies. I don't want to hear it. After that stone cold shutdown, Tyler tried to reach out to several other party goers. He told 18-year-old Ricardo Acevedo, who he had just met that night, that he was going to kill himself because he did something really bad. Ricardo, who did not agree to any of this nonsense, said that um, he was sure it wasn't that bad, it was going to be okay, and left, which, like, is what a stranger would say to you. Mm -hmm. Then Tyler told a 20-year-old guest named Kimberly that he would be going away soon for 60 years. And Kimberly was pretty unimpressed. None of these people provided the reaction Tyler was looking for, mostly because either they assumed Tyler was yet again crying wolf, or they didn't know him and assumed it was just the drunk sads, which I know I have mentioned twice already, but they are totally real. Sometimes the booze hits wrong and you just need to cry for a while. Yeah. Is it rational? Almost never. Is it cathartic? Almost always. Drunk sads or not, there was still one person Tyler knew would listen to him, and that was his best friend, Michael Mandel. And so, at approximately 1 a.m., Tyler found Michael and asked if he could talk to him in private. And then, Tyler proceeded to make the same horrifying confession. Michael recalled the conversation in an interview with ABC News. He says, quote, Mike, I killed my parents. And I said, no, you didn't, Tyler. Shut up. What are you talking about? And he said, Mike, look at the driveway. All the cars are there. My parents aren't in Orlando. I killed my parents. Mandel said he went inside and saw blood by a computer desk and more blood by the master bedroom door, but he thought Tyler was playing a prank on him and still didn't believe he had killed his own parents. Quote, I took Tyler into the garage and I said, what's going on here? I want to see them dead. If you really did it, I don't believe you, Mandel said. Uh, He said Tyler told him the party needed to die down before he could show him the proof, but... Uh, Mike Mandel refused to wait and wanted to go check for himself. Mm. He said, quote, I come up to the master bedroom door. The party's going on over here, and I turned the doorknob, Mandel said. I looked down, and I saw his father's leg against the door. My eyes popped up, and I said, oh, my, he's telling the truth. He did it. This is real. 
And that's the kicker. While everyone sat and wondered where the Hadleys were, their cars were still in the driveway. The neighbors didn't call the cops immediately because they thought that Blake and Mary Jo were still home. Right. Which I guess technically they were. Oh. Yep. Holly. Party guests had touched their still sticky blood over and over again, <gasps> oh. not knowing what it was. That stuff we thought maybe was coke mm-hmm. was obviously always blood. They held conversations just inches from the bodies. If anyone had cared enough to look around with a discerning eye, it would have been painfully obvious. But you never suspect murder, so you're never looking for one. ABC News got the clean version of Michael Mandel's story, but his testimony was decidedly more graphic. Michael told the court that Tyler had told him he killed his parents. After this, Michael brought him into the garage to talk. He thought Tyler was joking, but Tyler told him to look around, and when he did, he saw a bloody shoe print on the garage floor. Then he looked harder and saw blood-stained spots in the grout and both of the Hadley's cars parked in the driveway. Michael demanded to see them, and Tyler told him they were in the master bedroom, which he entered, Michael did, through the side door. And once he did, he saw Mr. Hadley's leg. After that, Tyler told him everything that had happened in detail. Now, you'll notice I've left a gap in the events of this story, and here's where I'm about to fill it in. At approximately 4.45 p.m. on July 16th, Tyler Hadley made a decision. He had quietly taken his parents' cell phones and hid them in his brother's now-empty bedroom. He played the song Feel Lucky by Lil Boozy, which has too many words I refuse to say in it, so if you want to listen to it for yourself, it is available all over the internets. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you want. Um, or I'll put it on our social media. It's available. Tyler then took three pills of ecstasy because what he was about to do, he felt could not be done sober. And then he went out to the garage. Three? Three ecstasy pills? That's a lot of ecstasy. Yeah. That's like, I feel like ecstasy isn't something, I mean, I've definitely been at parties where people are taking ecstasy. Nobody was taking a lot of them. It was always one. Right. That feels super intense to me. Just well, this whole thing is super I mean, of course, but I was just saying, that's like kind of a heroic dose of ecstasy. At 4.56 p.m., Mary Jo's cell phone received a text message from her mother, but she did not receive it. She was sitting at the computer desk in her dining room. Tyler was silently standing behind her with a large claw-headed tack hammer. His eyes were dilated from the drugs. Tyler stood there in silence, thinking. For what he relates to be five full minutes, which seems short, but in reality is an eternity to just quietly stand behind someone staring at them. Yeah. It's also an amount of time I feel like after which I would notice, I would feel somebody's eyes on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like uncomfortable because if she didn't, it's like how many times has somebody just been standing behind you staring at you? Yeah, I know. Exactly. So maybe we just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they stare at us all the time. Oh, Oh, God. So after the five minutes had elapsed, Tyler raised the hammer into the air and brought the claw end down on Mary Jo's head. Mary Jo turned to him in horror, looking at her son, and could only shout, why? She repeated it several times, but Tyler said nothing. Then he proceeded to bring the hammer down 35 more times on his mother's head and neck. Linda O'Neill, an associate medical examiner on the case, confirmed that Mary Jo Hadley had died from 
blunt force trauma to the head and back. I think it's the head and neck, but I have back written here. Hmm. Though not as quickly as they had originally thought. When asked in court if she thought Mary Jo was alive during any portion of the attack, Linda answered, quote, she was alive during every single blow. It is likely that Mary Jo lost consciousness toward the end and Tyler thought she was dead and moved on. There is some evidence that she tried to move herself post-attack, but was simply too weak and just succumbed to her injuries. Mm. Mary Jo also had defensive wounds, which meant she did try to fight back as best as she could, but Tyler had caught her from behind and had an unfair advantage. Blake, Tyler's father, during this attack was in the master bedroom. He had gone to take a nap after he and Mary Jo um, had spent the afternoon at a farmer's market together. By the time Mary Jo's screaming woke him up, it was too late. Blake came running into the dining room to find the scene I just described, which was hideously bloody. Blake looked at his son and then also asked, why? And this time, Tyler answered, why the fuck not? Yep, those are, that's a direct quote, before bringing the hammer down on his father this time. Roger Middleman, the case's chief medical examiner, said Blake Hadley suffered multiple deep wounds to the back of his head, along with broken bones in his leg, a broken nose, and deep wounds to his upper back. So maybe it was her back. There were a minimum of 39 wounds or strikes, he said, and several more after that. He agreed that injuries Blake Hadley received, quote, would have been painful and consistent with someone who was fighting for his life. If you recall my earlier description, Blake Hadley was a big man. It couldn't have been easy for Tyler to win this fight. 6'4", 300 pounds, he's a big guy. Yeah. But somehow, someway, he did. And the only way that I can figure out anyone with that kind of size difference could could find an advantage was to really want it. Yeah. Oh. Because there was adequate time for him to back out. And if he was in need of a wake-up call and like caught in a fit of passion or something, there were multiple moments where he could have pulled away and stopped. But he didn't. After it was all over, Tyler wrapped his parents' heads in towels and then dragged them into the master bedroom where they were left side by side on the floor. He tossed the hammer in between them, and then Tyler set about cleaning up the mess he had made. But that's the thing about gruesome murders. They're always a bigger mess than you think. The human body holds quite a bit of blood, about a gallon and a half to be precise in an adult. Spilling just half of that would be an unfathomable mess for most of us. Don't believe me? Go fill a small drinking glass with water, something like six ounces. Now spill it on the floor of the counter. It's a bigger spill than you you thought, isn't it? Liquid spreads out fast. Tyler went through the scene, cleaning up blood as best as he could with all-purpose cleaner, Clorox wipes, old rags, and coffee grounds, inexplicably. Huh. Didn't know you used coffee grounds to clean up blood, but this is perhaps some sort of old remedy that he had heard somewhere. And he's also on three pills of ecstasy. Three ecstasies, where he's like, coffee's good for everything. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And then after that, he took care to discard all the bloody rags, spent wipes and evidence, towels and such, in the master bedroom. He threw it on top of Blake and Mary Jo's bodies. And then he piled up clutter, chairs, clothing, framed pictures and artwork that he pulled off the walls, loose mail, dresser drawers, dishes and glassware, all on top of the bodies and the evidence, and locked their bedroom door. Then Tyler walked down the hall and into the bathroom. He looked at himself in the mirror and laughed. 
Tyler told an interviewer for a Port St. Lucie local news outlet that he still has dreams about that moment where he stood laughing at his bloody visage in the bathroom mirror in the only home he had ever known. Next, he took a shower, changed his clothing, and posted on Facebook. Party at my house, HMU. And we're back to where we began. Wow. So after hearing all of that, we would assume that Michael Mandel, the best friend that he was telling this story to, ran screaming into the night, right? No. He stayed for another two hours. Now, a lot of people have asked, why would he stay? And people get really mad about this. They get really mad about the fact that he heard this story, he saw the bodies, and then he stayed for two hours. He tells them that he didn't want to leave his best friend after something like that had happened. But also, I think, and this is my opinion, it's a lot more likely that he was in shock and that none of that information really sunk in right away. Yeah. That is a lot. Also, I mean, I don't know what his status was at this point, his sober status was. There is no, no one says that, and I agree. And also, like, if you are truly this kid's best friend, you're going to be like, oh, well, something must have happened that made him do that. Right. He must have, they must have done something really bad to him, and that's why he did that. Mm-hmm. Or like, we got to get through this party, and then I'll figure out what happened. Exactly. You rationalize. You, mm-hmm. you don't want your, one of your people to be like a hideous monster. You assume that they were backed into a corner, and they did what they had to do. So while a lot of people pretty harshly judge him for staying, I, I feel like I can't do that. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. At 17, seeing mm-hmm. that? I have no idea. He might have been terrified to leave. This kid just killed his parents. He could kill him too. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah. So what happens next is is something else people get extremely upset about. Michael uh, kind of talked to Tyler for another couple minutes, and then he said that they should pose for a selfie in the garage after he finished telling the story. Mm. Michael says he knew that this was the last time he and Tyler were going to be together, like, out in the world. He said, like, I knew I was never going to see him again outside of a jail cell. And so I took a picture because I knew this was the last time. Again, uh, is this a good look? No. But is it necessarily Michael being, like, okay with murder? Also, no. The photo is also very easy to find, and I'll put it in the photo suite. It features the two boys in Tyler's garage Tyler is holding a solo cup, and they're both sort of half smirking in, like, mock ceremony. This photo was clearly not a good idea. But, like I said, we don't know how we would have reacted. People do, like, weird nuts things in traumatic situations. Right, and he could have just, again, try—he could just be trying to handle the situation as it is. Sure, absolutely. And when asked, he always says, like, well, I just figured that was the last time, so I took a picture. Your brain will short-circuit and just go, oh, do something. No matter what, as like a teen, you just always think you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Even if you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, okay, what do I need? You just, I mean, I still watch teen dramas now and all. now I'm more like, when I watch the kids do stuff, I'm like, no, 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 talk to the parents. Just talk to them. They'll help you. Oh, yeah. But when I was that age, I remember thinking like, oh, you can't talk to the parents. You can't figure this stuff out. No. You can't go to authorities. No, not at all. (laughs) But he eventually does. That's the thing we yeah. have to remember about Michael Mandel. He is the one who eventually does call Crime Stoppers yeah. and put an end to this. And in interviews, he says that at this moment, he knew what he was going to do. Yeah. He knew. He said, I, I, 
I can't just let this go. I'm eventually going to leave this party, and I'm going to call the cops. Right. So I think he might have been protracting that, too. I think that he wasn't entirely sober yet, and I think he was just trying to handle the situation as was. And you're also Mm. grieving your friend. I mean, like, you just found out the person you thought you knew was a murderer. It just sounds like a Your really best scary, friend. yeah, it sounds like a very scary situation to be in. Yeah. And you don't want to react too fast. Because imagine if he reacted right away. Yeah. I, I, that's probably what he was scared of, is if of he course. reacted right away, what his friend would do to him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I don't think that this is as alarming as a lot of people like to make it out to be. I think it's just that fact that people react In the same situation, five people will react totally differently. Mm -hmm. And we saw this in things like the Amanda Knox case, Mm -hmm. where she didn't react the way people thought she was going to react when something happened, and so they assumed she was guilty. And in that case, it wasn't true, but in cases like Chris Watts, it can be, wherein he didn't look guilty after his wife had died. Or not guilty, he didn't look sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then around 2 a.m., someone at the party got wind that there was another party happening at the same time. What are the odds? And so about three-quarters of the party's guests cleared out immediately. The cars were loud with bumping radios and blaring engines and shouting occupants. They were beeping their horns. And one of Tyler's neighbors, a woman named Rayanne Wallace, had finally reached her limit. Not only had there been an ungodly amount of noise, but she caught a small group of partygoers watching her through her front window. No, thank you. And so she called the damn cops, who promptly showed up at Tyler's front door. When they knocked, Tyler had the few remaining guests hide inside his bedroom while he spoke to the police. He promised to keep it down, and they left. They just left. They didn't even ask to talk to his parents or anything. They just said, keep it down, okay, and walked off. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Fifteen minutes later, all the guests came back, because as it turns out, that other party was just a rumor, and they showed up on some poor sleeping girl's lawn. And when they knocked on the door, she was in pajamas like, no, 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 you got to (laughs) leave. Feel really bad for her. So then all these party guests wanting to still party turned tail and went right back to Tyler's house. They got there between, I don't know, around 2.33 a.m. And Tyler decided now, because he didn't want to be conspicuous, that he would shut off the living room light so the world would think the house had gone to bed. Because, you know, turn off the lights. Yeah. Noise doesn't exist. Exactly. And then he made himself a sandwich. It's It's hungry work. Yeah. (laughs) Reality had begun to creep in around Michael Mandel, though. Didn't, I'm sorry, didn't the axe murderer also eat, make a sandwich? Yeah, you get hungry. You do. And sandwiches are delicious. Are the food of axe murderers. (laughs) Just. (laughs) Sandwiches are the food of axe murderers. Although this isn't an axe, it's a hammer. Yeah. Similar. Whackers, I guess. S- oh, no. Sandwiches yeah. are whackers. It's like McDonald's is the, the food, food of Olympians. Olympians. <laughs> oh, no. Ugh. We're going to just go right beyond that okay. statement. <laughs> COVID, guys. COVID's got me. <laughs> so Michael Mandel knew what he had to do. As I mentioned earlier, he quietly hid a baggie of Percocet that Tyler had told him he was going to use to kill himself. So he had a baggie with 10 Percocets in it, and he said, I'm going to take these after everybody leaves and die. You won't die if you take 10 Percocets, but okay, whatever. So then after Michael hid this baggie, he left the party. And as soon as he was safely away from Tyler and the house and the bodies of Blake and Mary Jo Hadley, 
he made a call to the local Crime Stoppers hotline, and he told them everything. Every last detail. They then called the Port St. Lucie police, who dispatched two officers to the house on Grandier Avenue at 4.32 a.m., and then the dig was clearly up. Um, Michael said the house was at 371 Northeast Grandier Avenue and that he had hidden the pills Tyler had set aside to kill himself with, but that they should still hurry because you never know what's going to happen. And then the rest we already know. Good for him. Yeah, good for him is right. 23-year-old Ryan Hadley woke up the next morning on Sunday the 17th to a text message from his old Port St. Lucie friend Ernie telling him the police were at his house. Ryan then, heartbreakingly, texted and called his parents but got no answer. Their phones were buzzing away on the floor of his own childhood bedroom. At exactly the same moment, the medical examiners were documenting the body of Ryan and Tyler's parents. He found this out later through piecing together the timestamps of crime scene photos that at that specific moment, they had his father's head in their hands. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's in the book. It's pretty rough. About an hour later, he finally received a call from his grandmother telling him that his parents were dead and that Tyler was to blame. Ryan rushed back to Port St. Lucie and at 23 years old found out he was now Tyler's legal guardian. So that's a horrible plot twist. I cannot imagine the insane gravity that came rushing down on Ryan at that moment. Coping with that kind of conflicting emotion is difficult in a situation where you aren't suddenly responsible for your 17-year-old murder brother three childhood pets, the bodies of your beloved parents, and a house that is in shambles. Thankfully, Ryan wisely got himself help. He immediately turned over Tyler's guardianship to an older cousin and had help not only coping with the situation, but dealing with the realities both large and small throughout the process. Because remember, he had to take care of the whole estate and the funerals and the memorial, and he set up a fund for the Hadleys that um, provided housing for families in need. Like he, this was all him. Right. And how old is he? 23. Wow. And he's Tyler's legal guardian. That's nuts. Yeah. But thankfully, though he may have been lonely on occasion, Ryan was never alone. And he did an unbelievable job moving forward with his life and doing what he thought was right and just, despite what anyone thought. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for him, and I commend him. He is strong in a way that I don't think I'll ever understand. Tyler was up for two life sentences. And Ryan, while he loves his brother, when asked what he thought, you know, the penalty his brother received should be, he recommended that the maximum penalty was appropriate. Furthermore, when he was asked what his parents would have thought, he said, my parents believed in people being accountable for what their actions, and this is Ryan being accountable for, or this is Tyler being accountable for his. Mm-hmm. So, and he stuck to his guns. There were family members that said, no, they did not believe Tyler should be in jail for life. Um, ones that jumped onto the defense and even when they got angry with him, Ryan kind of stood his ground and said, listen, nope, this is what happened. He's got to pay the piper. Now, Tyler has said a lot of things after his arrest, a lot of things he should not have said, like blaming poor Michael for his incarceration. Things like, I know you had to do what you do. You had to do what you did, and I'm sorry, but you know you sent me here. There's a lot of qualifiers in Tyler Hadley's apologies. Mm. He signs um, autographs to eager pen pal fans in prison as Hambo, which is short for Hammer Boy. Okay. Bad luck. He wrote letters to his friends and family from prison, quote, hoping for forgiveness and a good plea deal. So all of his statements are peppered with red flags like this one, and this is why the insults immediately get thrown around with Tyler Hadley. He doesn't make it look good for him. He continually does things like says, 
I'm really sorry. I beg forgiveness. And also, I want to get out of jail. He just, he sounds like someone that only thinks of themselves. Of course, yeah. And also really doesn't understand consequences. Yeah. Like, re- really doesn't. Like, he, like. Yeah. Or he doesn't, or he doesn't. Doesn't care, care. about yeah. the consequence. Yeah. But Tyler's, it just it just sounds so he just sounds so selfish. Selfish, yeah. Absolutely. The his trial trial, sorry, did not happen until 2014, by which time he was a legal adult. But because he was 17 at the time of the murders, he couldn't face the death penalty in the state of Florida, and so he was sentenced to life without parole. Now, his defense team argued that he was not in his right mind at the time of the murders. Of course, that's the only defense you could Kept. Right. You can only lean into that. And a psychiatrist, also in 2014, reevaluated Tyler and declared him clinically depressed with psychotic tendencies. And I believe that. Yeah. Everything that we've heard about Tyler so far seems to confirm that that would easily be true. Right. However, a lot of people also have observed that Tyler appeared to massage the testimonies he gave. Like, when he spoke to people who were evaluating him and he knew his freedom was on the line, he was a lot more troubled than he made himself out to be before. So you can take whatever you want with a grain of salt. But I feel like you can't believe anything he's saying. I agree. I feel like it doesn't matter what he's saying. Mm -hmm. It's almost just like he has to be diagnosed almost. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I mean, and this is where something like borderline personality disorder might be something Mm -hmm. they want to look into because a lot of people that— that don't fear consequences, have a severe suicidal ideation and dangerous behavior, fall under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Or antisocial personality disorder. There's a whole bunch of them that they really could have explored and they haven't because now now they don't need to. And don't a lot of those kind of issues, don't they really rear their head around this time, like at his age? Yeah, for sure. When your hormones are all messed up. Yeah. And drugs can do weird things to them too. Yeah. Especially, like, psychedelic drugs. Right. And especially if, any, if he's been abusing them for years. Right. Tyler was also mm. supposed to be on an SSRI for his depression at the time of the crimes, but it appeared he hadn't been taking it. And we learned from Elisa Lamb that when you don't take your medication, things can also be very different. Yeah. Especially if he's taking them and stopping them yep. and taking them mm-hmm. again. And yeah. instead, he was full of ecstasy, alcohol, and cannabis. But experts argue that all of those things were depressants and wouldn't have unlocked a blind rage bender, except alcohol, because that can definitely make people angry. But I I don't think he was drinking that much. I think he was predominantly on other stuff. Alcohol, no matter what dosage, can make people mad. Prior to your information, I didn't really think that marijuana would ever cause a violent crime, but I suppose at his age and condition, it could have contributed Yeah, I don't think that uh, smoking marijuana would be the exact, would would be like the direct cause, but it's at a young age and somebody that could be prone to psychotic behaviors, it's not going to help. No, that's, yeah, that's what I was saying. And then there's the ecstasy, which is a euphoric drug that does not produce violent results when what you're getting is just MDMA, which is the drug that ecstasy is supposed to be. Right. But ecstasy is more often than not cut with other stuff. And your drug dealer doesn't tell you what's in it. They just give it to you. 
Yeah. A lot of, true. I mean, some might, but like not all do. And often it's cut with amphetamines, which will absolutely make you mad. Although if he had ADHD, that would have been a good thing for him. Maybe that's why he liked it. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe that's why he could function on three. Maybe. That is, a, that could definitely be true. If they were full of, if that particular pill he got was full of amphetamines, that would have helped his brain immensely. If, if, if any of these things are true. We're just casting a lot of if nets out into the sea and seeing what happens. But you know what? Ours are as good as anyone else's. Mm. So, but um, amphetamines, if, if they're not helping your brain, will absolutely, and even if they are, to be honest, will absolutely make you mad sometimes. Have you ever seen a college-level improviser on cocaine? I have. It's not pretty. Oh. Yeah. These are mildly compelling arguments to the judge and jury, but they weren't really interested in any of them. Then, in April of 2016, Tyler's sentencing was overturned by an appeal judge who stated the lower court, quote, did not consider the correct alternative to a life sentence, which I'm not super sure what that was because there wasn't any other options, but the state attorney, Tom Bakadal, Bakadal, B-A-K-K-E-D-A-H-L, stated that, quote, our focus is on punishment, not rehabilitation. And no matter what you think of Tyler, that should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up because the goal of incarceration is always supposed to be rehabilitation. Right. Yeah. This is an officer blatantly stating their goal with Tyler was not in any way rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. which I find not great. Mm-hmm. In December of 2018, Tyler was resentenced to life in prison, but this time with the possibility of parole. He is imprisoned in the Okeechobee Correctional Institution. Has his behavior changed in prison? Not really. He tends to brag to cellmates and anyone who will listen. He signs autographs and does the hammering motion a lot. He's really playing up that hammer thing, which historically did not go well for Jeffrey Dahmer, so he really should consider cooling it. Mm. Now, I could go on forever and ever, and we have before, about how children are not equipped with the hardware to understand that killing is forever. And so, in many instances, I disagree with kid offenders being put away forever, even when the crime is violent. But this case is so different. It's so premeditated. There is no delusions, no moments of extreme emotion. It's not a crime of passion. If you ask me, Tyler just wanted to do something super extreme. Yeah. He wanted to be impressive and tough, and he didn't want to go to rehab, and so he did it. Yeah. I, I, it's so hard. I think because the majority of these people that we talk about yeah. all need some sort of help. Yes, of course. And so, and I, and I guess the problem is, is that I wish— I wish that prison was more rehabilitative so do I. than than it sometimes most of the time is. Like instead of putting them away and forgetting about them, especially if if he's up for parole, like he yeah. has a possibility of parole, not yeah. up for parole, but a possibility, then I would like to know that yeah, that, that he's been rehabilitated. Yeah. And I also feel like we have a right to know because if our taxes are paying for this, then it's yeah. also it's our responsibility to make sure they're a well-functioning person in society. Yeah, well, Florida notoriously also chanted enthusiastically for Ted Bundy's execution. So they kind of are— I know, people are shitty. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say it was mad to be excited that Ted Bundy was being put to death because he caused a lot of pain in a lot of people's right, lives. Right. So I can't—I'm not yeah. judging any of them. But Ted Bundy is also— a, how old was he? 
Oh, I don't remember. It was the early 90s. Yeah. It's like middle age. It's just, I don't, I don't know. This, this one is, is tough because I think that he underst. I think that Tyler completely understood that he was killing his parents. Yeah, me too. I do too. And so I don't buy, and I don't even think he really tried to buy that where he was just like, I didn't know that they'd stay dead. I don't think that that was a thing. Yeah. But I think that there was just, there was so much going on I mean he was he was self-medicating himself constantly yeah but there are plenty of instances with kids who are in their teens sometimes as old as 17 sometimes as young as 13 or 14 that shoot their parents or kill them in another way usually it's a quick way not like a million strikes to the head where you have time to back out and then there's one case in particular I can't think of the kid's name right now where he calls 911 right afterwards and he's sobbing and he's like I just wanted to know what it would be like to shoot them but I didn't think that they were going to be dead and now they're dead forever. And he yeah. like can't grasp it because yeah. he has a kid brain. Then you have girls like the Slenderman killers who for sure were under some kind of mutual delusion and thought what they were doing was going to save them. And then later in life, they probably are both like, I didn't want to kill my friend. Right. I just didn't get it. I was a kid. That's not what this is. No, I mean, I truly believe that he is just an asshole who did who did that like that's he's just fair enough yeah but but that i also can believe that he that he maybe can be helped now i but yeah and i feel that his family they did try to help they did he was and that's the other thing he was on under psychiatric supervision yeah that there were people Diagnosing him and meeting with him. He had just been in an inpatient facility, like, or in a, yeah, committed to an inpatient facility two weeks before. mm -hmm. Had there been any major red flags, there were people to see them, and they didn't. It just happened. What I think I can get behind on this story Mm -hmm. is that his family did try to help him. They did see, like you said, some red flags. Mm -hmm. He kept ignoring them or kept denying the help, and then he chose this destructive path and he chose to kill his parents instead. Mm -hmm. And so I think his brother Ryan is correct in feeling confident and him being punished for this because he's just like, we did, we didn't ignore you. We tried. Yeah, that's true. if you're going to be this selfish, then. Yeah, I don't know if there's hope for you to come out of it. Yeah. And maybe at some point in prison, if he does get, some maybe he gets some help there, yeah. maybe, but I don't. That's I guess at this point I can agree that it is totally up to him, and he's the one that put himself there. Yep. So okay, I, that's where I got to. I'm glad you made it there. <laughs> so the other thing that is extremely damning when it comes to Tyler is that he had even commented a few weeks before to a friend in the middle of a conversation with no provocation that he thought it would be really cool to kill your parents and throw a party over their dead bodies. So this is exactly something he wanted to do. It was not spur of the moment. It was very premeditated. Right. But was it? Was it cool? Some of the kids who were in attendance will actually to this day say that, yeah, it was. They were just excited to be part of history. Or they would say they treated Tyler badly, which is so gross outwardly. But again, I'm willing to bet that for some people, it is way easier to say it was cool and that they were cool for having been there than to say that in retrospect, It was awful and terrifying and that you feel really bad for being any part of it. All those teenagers were sort of unconsciously complicit in this case. 
and cannot come with no residual guilt. There's no way you don't feel guilty being in that house. Of course, yeah. So maybe we shouldn't judge them too harshly. Just like death may be surprisingly quiet, sometimes self-preservation is surprisingly ugly. Mm-hmm. And that is the long and winding story of the worst house party in modern history. Wow, that's a crazy one to come back to. It is. It's very long. It's very big. And it's a lot of things. And I tried to be as thorough as humanly possible Mm -hmm. because a lot of people also know this case. Right. I learned a lot about uh, Florida. So that was was one of my (laughs) takeaways, too. I was like, oh, the taxes thing. That makes such good sense. That's why people retire there. Yeah. I don't know if everybody in the world but us knew that, but I was definitely like— I put it in there, and then I was editing it. I was like, is this interesting? Right. And I was like, well, for me, it was super interesting. I think it's something I forget because after you were saying that, I was just like, oh, I think I remember reading that before and being as amazed. But I, it's yeah. something I forget constantly, and I'm like, why? I know. It's so weird. Why anyway. do swingers go down there? <laughs> Maybe they get tax breaks, yeah. too. <laughs> Toast? Toast. First, I will say to Ryan Hadley, who was— my predominant source this week and who went, who really went through hell and back. And I recommend everybody read his book. It's called 1000 Fireflies. Uh, It's a quick read and it's available on like Google books and everything. I had it electronically. And if you want to really kind of hear his side of the story, which I think I felt like I owed this case. I felt like if I was going to cover it, I had, I really should listen to what he had to say. And I'm glad that I did. Very (laughs) glad that I did. So, um, so cheers to Ryan. Cheers. Um, and also to, well, Blake and Mary Jo, obviously, and Michael Mandel, who did the right thing. Cheers to them. And lastly, to Nathaniel Rich, who wrote the Rolling Stone article, Tyler Hadley's Killer Party, which is nearly everybody's major source of information on this case. It's a really good piece of investigative journalism provides a lot of the Facebook conversations and interviews, and um, he really did the damn thing. So it's a lot of the definitive source for this case. So cheers to you, Nathaniel Rich. Do we have anybody else we need to toast today? To us and a new year. Yes. Yay! (laughs) We did it. We're back. And if we were unable to hear the warnings because of the loud choruses of love and hope repeating in our heads, we we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod and join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. We're back at it again. Great. <laughs> <laughs>